Mitch Unfiltered, episode 224, a name, a face out of my past. <laughs> what Hot Shot of- Scott Soden. <laughs> two, two weeks ago, you're Well, past? it's not two weeks ago. You keep saying two weeks ago. Yeah. Last week, we didn't do a show. We took the week off. Yeah. The week before, which would have been two weeks ago, Danny O'Neill, the dang apostrophe, oh, thrown right. in for you because you had to go to some Fakakta vacation. Oh, some Fakakta You were in Bahamas yeah, or right, Tahiti Bahamas, or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's really three weeks since you and I do a show together, and it leaves me worried there's going to be no chemistry. <laughs> I was almost hoping I'd forget your face, but it turns out I haven't. That's not nice to kick <laughs> things off. But hey, we always have our chemistry. Don't you worry. <laughs> Available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please. Bonus shows every week. Short shows. Danny O'Neill for the other uh, patrons. Slick Hawk, Randy Mueller. We've got a Mariners no table that's coming. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at $5 a month. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click become a, a patron. I'd like to do something with your help. Okay. A little different. Before we start the warm-up segment, and I apologize in advance that these first couple of minutes are not going to be the usual goofy and jovial Scott and Mitch, but I feel like it's important. Sometimes there are things that are much more important than being funny and silly, and every one of us who's aware of what happened a few weeks ago in Tumwater, Washington, will understand Mm. what I mean by that. We're all heartbroken. That family of five, I don't know them. The family of five that were lost in a house fire, Stephen and Destiny Cox, three of their four children in the fire lost, two boys, 10 and 12, a 13-year-old daughter. Unreal. All gone. There's a 14-year-old son that was not at home but lost his family, essentially. And there's a GoFundMe page that's up, and I just thought we'd start right there. I didn't want to bury this down in the other stuff segment yeah, right. or one of the other segments because I was afraid that not a lot of people might make it that far because we're not going to be very good before that. Right. So I thought we'd lead the show off yeah. and then try to segue out of it. The GoFundMe page has been set up. If you are out there and you are aware of the story and you might want to help in some small way, mm-hmm. just Google GoFundMe Cox Family Fire, okay. C-O-X. Cox family fire if you'd like to help the uh, the surviving 14-year-old boy and whatever he's got left. Just a horrific, tragic story here in the Northwest that I wanted to lead with. I haven't read all the details just because yeah. I don't want to. It's so horrific. Yes. But to think that not one of them could get out is just, it's mind-boggling, right? Well, I think that one of the kids had a friend over. Okay. And the friend got out. Wow. If I read that correctly. Oh, that's just when you think you've got it bad, just when something's going bad in your world, right? be careful yep. because there are families like this that really have it bad. I always think about what your dad told you. I always think about that. I think it's the greatest thing he's ever said. And well, I, I don't know, I don't know that, the I don't, man that well. I don't, <laughs> I don't <laughs> know I that it was his. Yeah, he well, probably got it from somewhere else. Yeah. But he used to say that if we all sat in a major circle mm-hmm. and threw our problems into the middle, you would race to get your own problems back. That's right. You never know what people are Another going example through. Another example of that. Yeah. So. so if you have it, if you have the means to help out a little bit, that w- no better cause than this, right? I just thought that that would be the, yeah. the appropriate way to start episode 224. And we're sending our good thoughts and blessings to all the friends and relatives of that family, the Cox family in Tumwater. Guests on this episode 224, 
The Graz, Dave Grosby. I know that name. He's back? Yeah, well, yeah, there's Seahawks, there's Mariners, there's Huskies, there's Kraken. I was at a Kraken game on Saturday night. Are you talking about the team that's the number one seed before the All-Star break? That no, team? No, they're not the oh, number one not. seed Damn before it. the All-Star break. Okay, what are they? But we can get Mr. Pac NHL playoffs on here to help you out. <laughs> Sounds like we need him after that comment. <laughs> Pretty close, though. <laughs> what, are they number two? I mean, they're having a good year, yeah. right? They're now leading the Pacific Division wow. of the Western Conference of the NHL. Woo! That sounds good. I'm all about the Seattle Kraken and their playoff chances. The, <laughs> the Pacific Division with the Trailblazers. The Trailblazers. The, the Lakers. The Suns. Yeah, oh, yeah. What yeah. a division. No, different Pacific Division. I found this myself This is the Pacific them. Division with the Las Vegas Golden Knights, oh. who in like their first year, I think, either won the whole thing or got to the NHL Stanley yeah, Cup yeah. final, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if they, yeah, they, they at least got there in their yes. first year. Yes. Nice. So, yes. I was at the Kraken. And you went to a recent Kraken game. That's right. We never so talked two about it. Yeah, that was. I don't think we ever mentioned it. No, we did. Oh, we, we did. talked about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was at a Kraken three-one victory over the Columbus Knights. No, no like the Blue Jackets or Blue, something. Yeah, it's Blue something. I've actually seen that stadium when I went to watch the Huskies play in Columbus against Ohio State. I was like, hey, who knew they have an NHL team here? Well, I had well, no well idea. And what is the NHL doing in Columbus? Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't know. Have you been to Columbus? Well, the answer is they're losing. That's what they're doing. Yeah, they're not very good. I don't think Columbus. But they don't have they don't have a team in Cincinnati and they don't have a team in Cleveland. But right, they've got yeah. a team in Columbus. They have all the places, which I think is the state capital because Ohio State University is there. Mm. But but still, I, it's just kind of a weird fit. The NHL in Columbus, Ohio. Seems, I saw that. Seems strange to me. I saw the cheap shot on the Kraken player. I think he's a rookie or second year guy, maybe. Matty Beneers. What a he cheap. would be the rookie of the year in the NHL. Oh. He's the guy that I went to go see on Saturday night. Oh. That, that of course didn't play right. because of the cheap shot <laughs> from the Vancouver, the six eight Vancouver Canuck that came in here uh. the other night and cheap shotted him right out of the. Right out of the next two games? That's not going to hurt. you talking about? That's not going to hurt the Northwest rivalry, is it, boy? The next time those two play. That was not a nice a thing to do. Now, he's not out-out, right? He's going to make it back, and he's... Well, he's in the all He's supposed to be in the All-Star game. They're now at the All-Star break. Yeah, yeah. In the All-Star game, he was going to be the lone Kraken representative wow. in the All-Star game, but I don't know that he's going to make it. I don't know if they have a con he has a concussion or what's yeah. his problem, but he, he missed the two games after the Canucks game. He missed the Calgary game, and then he missed the Columbus game that I went to see him play. Matty Beneers out of? The University of Michigan. How'd I do? Honestly, is that right? And what number <laughs> And what number pick was he in the 2021 draft? He was your number three overall. Close. Number two. Number two. There you go, okay. And the guy who went number one, where did he come from? Um, the University of Michigan. They were wow, teammates. Teammates amazing. went one and two in the 2021 draft. Unreal. I know all these things because I'm Mr. NHL. Yes, you are. We went from Graz to the Kraken. How so the, the hell did that happen? Well, because we talked to I talked to the Graz about all the stuff that's happening with the uh -huh. Mariners and the Huskies and the Seahawks and the Kraken. It's always nice to have the Graz sure. back on Mitch Unfiltered. He said some very nice things about Mitch Unfiltered. He's a listener. Oh, he is? Yeah, he listens oh. to all the interviews. Unlike you, he listens to all the interviews. <laughs> right. Jason Lockenfora, NFL Insider, is back on Mitch Unfiltered to talk about the Super Bowl matchup between the Chiefs yeah. and the Philadelphia Eagles and Andy Ide, okay, who covers the Kraken. He's, oh. been, on the, he's been on the show a couple of times nice. before. NHL.com writer. He also writes for some other sources. He follows every minute Andy I does of the Seattle Kraken. He's also the host of a, of a podcast called The Sound of Hockey on the Seattle Kraken. He's going to engage me. And I like having him on for two reasons. A, 
He knows a lot about hockey and a lot about the Kraken. And B, <laughs> helps. he doesn't giggle at the stupid questions that I ask because I know nothing yeah. about the NHL. Just goes along with the flow. And he probably then gets off the show and goes, you're not going to believe what this guy asked me this <laughs> This guy talked sports for 20 years in this town. He knows nothing about hockey. I can't believe it. He doesn't it. know one thing yeah. about hockey. So you're probably not going to get asked to be on his podcast is what I'm guessing. Well, I'm glad he's on ours. Thank you for spreading your wealth. So the Graz... Jason Lockenfora and Andy Eide, okay? All right. Hot Shot episode 224 doesn't happen without our sponsors like Daniel's Broiler, four amazing locations, Les Shy, South Lake Union, Bellevue Place, and the Hyatt Regency downtown Seattle, right across from the Paramount Theater. If you haven't yet tried it, you need to do so. It's really a special place. Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Fireside is the title sponsor for virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run on Unfiltered, beat the boys during the NFL season, and before you know it, our master's pool will be here. Start your search for a brand new fireplace unit at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. When the nationally acclaimed Cross Country Mortgage wanted a new office in the Northwest, They not only snatched up Jordan Flowers, but his entire team. And there's a reason. If you're buying a home, a second home, an investment place, Jordan's team has creative packages to save you money. 425-890-2957. Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes, and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, expansion will continue in this 2023. Off to Eagle, Idaho, Portland, Oregon, Renton, Washington, north to Bellingham, east to Idaho, south to Portland. Zeke's Pizza does it the right way. Thanks, Dan Black, and thanks, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Episode 224. We're back on Mitch Unfiltered, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. If you go through the entire Major League Baseball right now, and you say, who's got the anatomy? Who's got the anatomy of an upset starting rotation that could get hot in a Mm seven-game series? The Seattle Mariners, if they're not right at the top, they're very close to the top with those three or four guys. Unfiltered. I can't just go in and say, oh, we're on the right track because they went nine and eight and now they're going to get some great draft choices and they're going to add to what they've already built. What people are asking me when they say that is to put your hand over the fact that literally over the last eight games, they were terrible. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 224 is now officially underway with my pal. Hey. Who I haven't seen in the last three weeks. Yeah. Hot Shot Scott Soap. At least your dog didn't forget me, which I love. I no. Love, no, 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 no. No, no, no. She's been waiting by the door this whole time. Christmas. Every time you walk through the door. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's unbelievable. My dog doesn't like me 20% of the way your dog likes me. Nobody in your house <laughs> likes you 20% of the way my dog <laughs> likes probably you. probably true. So I was enjoying myself a uh, 14U Seattle Spice softball game as I Wait a second. do from time to time. Go back over that. A 14U yes. Seattle Spice yes, softball game. So Softball game. Yes, okay. my daughter's on a team called Seattle Spice. Yeah, I thought she was in basketball season, but okay. Well, she 
does more than okay. Yeah, two basketball teams and a softball team at the same time. It's good, good to be us. You're busy. I just give all the coaches a debit card to our account. Just take whatever <laughs> you want. Anytime you need money, just go ahead. It's all yours. So I'm freezing to death at this game, and for some reason, one of the moms, I think she was talking to my wife about because oh, I was I was actually at the game getting ready for the show because I have limited time. So I'm on my computer. You like, had three weeks to get ready yeah. for this show. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't do that. So I'm on the computer. She's like, what yes. are you doing? He's doing a podcast. Who's doing the podcast? She comes over to me. She goes, you know, when we used to live in Seattle, or, or sorry, we used to work in Seattle. We had kind of a long commute, and we would listen to this guy called Mitch in the Morning every day. I didn't, I, I didn't know this guy had a podcast. I mean, that's who we listened to every morning on the way to work. I'm like, first of all, you didn't listen to the T-Man show. But I can't believe they didn't know you had a podcast. They're big fans of So how did they find out that I had a podcast? Well, I don't understand. She was talking to my wife because she's like, what's your husband doing over there on the laptop at the game? He's He's preparing for the podcast. That's right, yeah. And she asked, who does he do the podcast with? That's exactly right. And your wife said, I'm not sure. Let me ask. That's right. She called Piper and Piper told her who I do it with. Piper said, let me ask dad. I'll ask dad. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And dad said this guy named Mitch used to do a radio show. Yeah, apparently they used to listen every morning on the way to work. And they've never never heard the pod they didn't know anything about the uh, might they listen to the podcast well i did just sh- i shared it with her i texted her the link yes so hopefully she will listen a new listener hey michelle welcome how many are we up to a now? new listener just poured in <laughs> that's right ring the bell for every new listener <laughs> yes oh. so there you go i'm contributing by adding one listener every three weeks or so yep that's how you get huge i know it's it's crazy how many people used to listen to you nah, no clue now, you never even like searched it or Googled it, nothing, just not interested. I liked him for a long time and then just, eh, forget it. Like, if you liked a band and then you haven't heard from him for a while, would you just say, oh, I used to like them? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe they have a new record out here. <laughs> Check once in a while. I don't know. It's so weird to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, we're welcome. <laughs> well, on, on Saturday night, I did catch a little crack and fever. And the answer to your question is they are now 29. 15 with five overtime losses. Really? 29-15 with five overtime losses. Okay. You get a point for every overtime loss. You know that, right? And you get two points for every win. So they've got 58 plus five. They've got 63 points heading into the All-Star break. And if the season ended today, which it doesn't and it's stupid to even talk about, Mm -hmm. your Seattle Kraken would win the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, and they'd be the number two seed, not one. Okay. The number two seed in the entire Western Conference. Well, if they were number one, I'd probably follow. But number two, I can't. I, I can't playoff hockey is coming to Seattle, and everybody who loves hockey says there's just nothing like playoff hockey. Can't wait. So I'm I'm planning if I can afford to go because it's not inexpensive <laughs> to go to a cracking game. No, it's not. We've talked about this before. Yes. Saturday night, I sat with a pal and his wife. I sat there. We were about six or seven or eight rows up in the corner. So it's the three of you? Oh, it was four of us, my wife and I. Oh, okay. I thought it was and just another couple. And married couple. Yes. No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. Whatever yeah. you're into. <laughs> and so we were we were 10 rows up or, or so in the corner of the, yeah, sure. uh, whatever you want to say. $185 a pop. Okay. Yeah, it's not an inexpensive ticket, and yes. I'm sure that the playoffs will be mightily expensive, but everybody says you got to take in a, a home playoff game. And it looks like the Seattle Kraken, or unless there's some sort of a collapse, okay. like the Seattle Seahawks did, if there's some sort of collapse in the last 33 games, yeah. I suppose there's a chance they wouldn't make it. But right now, it looks like they're cruising towards having home ice advantage in the first couple of rounds if they make it the first couple of rounds. Unreal. So fun, right? Super fun. This town, it feels like... Although, I, I did see it, an article someone tweeted out about how TV ratings aren't really what they would expect for how good this team is. Yeah. 
can't remember who wrote it, but it was kind of interesting. I'm not shocked by that because you know what they say. Hockey is so hard to watch on TV. The yeah. difference between hockey on TV and hockey in person, there's right. no there's no bigger difference in all of sports. It's hard to watch hockey on TV. It's hard to watch hockey in the in real life at the game. I was having trouble following yeah. the puck at times. Turns out we all can't go to the game, so some of us have to watch them on yeah. TV, so remember, we're going to have to figure it out. Remember a few years ago or many years ago on hockey, because hockey was having trouble on TV, they had like these streaks, these blue streaks so you could follow Awful. the puck. That was, uh, Do you remember that? I think on paper that probably sounded good, but it was so <laughs> distracting and weird. It was like a little flame going around. Would you rather not know where the puck is watching it on TV? Uh, people have figured it out for the, over the past hundred years. Yeah. You, so you've got the Kraken who are involved in a... A playoff, a race to the playoffs and only their second year, which has everybody excited. You've got the Mariners who are getting ready to report. Pitchers and catchers are getting ready to report Unreal. in Arizona. Let's go. And everybody thinks the Mariners, after last year's playoff run, maybe didn't do a lot during the offseason in terms of free agent acquisition, but still should be very good. I saw a piece on ESPN that ranked, if you believe these rankings, they ranked the lineups. The offensive lineups of every one of the 30, however many Major League Baseball teams. Okay. One to whatever. You didn't have to go down very far f to find where the Mariners lineup was ranked amongst all the teams in baseball. Okay. Number seven. Hey. And I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> I don't know that I know enough about all the other teams right. to be able to say I do or I don't agree with that. But they listed the lineup as Julio hitting first, France hitting second, Suarez hitting third, the new guy Hernandez in right field hitting fourth, the new guy Wong at second base hitting fifth, Cal Raleigh hitting sixth, J.P. Crawford hitting seventh, uh, Pollock hitting eighth, the free agent from the Arizona Diamondbacks, mm -hmm. and Kelnick hitting ninth. That's what they listed as the main lineup for the Mariners, and they called that the seventh best lineup in all of Major League Baseball. In terms of the American League... Only the Astros at four, the Blue Jays at five were better. So this was the third best lineup in all of the American League offensively. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's right or wrong. I'm hoping it's right. Yeah. My guess is it's probably wrong. But if it's right, with their starting pitching, and they're always pretty good in the bullpen, yeah. if they're truly the third best offensive lineup in the American League, and you toss that in with... Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby, Ray, if he pops back, yeah. Gonzalez. You look at their rotation. Unreal. To throw in with the seventh best or the four, in this case, the third best in the American League. How good, how many games do you win with that? Right. A hundred. Considering how hot they were after you and I were ready to fire everybody. Yes, they were. It, Not you and I, it was just me. But thank well, you. Well, I was pretty frustrated too. I yeah, mean, but I, thanks for throwing yourself in there. I'm I appreciate trying, that. I'm trying to help out a little bit. Um, <laughs> But if they can just do like 70% of that hotness just for the whole year, just kind of be consistent, this team's going to be so fun. By the way, can we get back to that lineup? Am I the only one that doesn't want Julio leading off for some reason? Well, I don't know that I, I mean, we can do that. We have plenty of time. No, I to do know. That. It's silly now, but it's just when you read that, I, I don't know. Yeah, he was a rookie. Let's, you know, he's fast, but I, I feel like we can get a little more out of him down the lineup. The idea nowadays, it's not like it was in the old days when we were young, but the, okay. the idea nowadays is you want your best hitter to hit as many times during okay. the season as possible. And no one you, will get more ABs than him. Than the, than the, than the number one. Yeah, gotcha. That's the thought. But I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I mean, Suarez, I don't look at him as a number three hitter. I look at Julio as more of a three hitter right. than Suarez is. 
So I could see them moving Wong, who's got speed up at second base, up to first. Yeah. France second, Julio third. That moves Suarez down to fifth or sixth. Yeah, I could or or have Julio hit second. But the 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 Saber metrics guys say that your best hitter should hit either first or second okay. because you get him more at bats during the course of the regular season. Cal Raleigh at number six. That's a pretty damn good number six hitter. Right? I mean, Cal Raleigh had a pretty good year. That's pretty I just impressive. don't know that I look at this lineup and see the third best lineup in the American League. Their yeah. pitching is great. I think their pitching is very interesting because you know Castillo's going to be great. Yeah. You think that Gilbert and Kirby are going to be very good and improved. Robbie Ray is kind of the interesting one. Right. What is Robbie Ray going to be like in 2023? Sadly, it feels like he can sort of make or break this staff, right? A little bit. A like, little bit, but they're he, so good elsewhere in the staff that he shouldn't be able to make or break the staff. Yeah, but he could he could take them to another level if he comes back to Cy Young ish type numbers, right? But then if he doesn't, you're just you're you're depending upon him every five games, and he's bringing you down. It's weird. It's such a swing situation yeah. because I don't know where he's going. He could either be yeah, I don't think he's going to be Cy Young ish anymore probably but could he be very good yeah 70 percent of that would you take 80 uh, percent yes yeah, of yes course, yeah. the problem is the last time we saw him <laughs> one pitch or two pitches. he couldn't get anybody out and yeah. nobody had any any faith in him and they were pulling him in yeah. out of the bullpen he was giving up game losing home runs in the playoffs and right. to everybody wondered to themselves when he went to the offseason whether he was a shot fighter as a result of what happened in the last like three weeks two weeks of the regular season and week of the playoffs yeah so what is he going to be? Is he going to be able to flush that out of his mind and just come out and ignore all the noise and just be a good, solid, left-handed kind of power pitcher? Yeah. If he's that, not Cy Young, if he's just that, a good, solid, left-handed power pitcher yeah. to go along with right-handers Gilbert, Kirby, Castillo, and then you've got Gonzalez on whatever he is from the left side, you're golden especially if you have the third best lineup in the American League. Yeah, I can hear that that tone on your voice, and I, I don't much appreciate it. What don't you appreciate? The sarcastic tone about the third best I lineup just, in the American League. I can't League. look at that lineup and see third best in the American League. No way. What's Maybe. Kalnick going to be? A great great question. Can't wait to see. I mean, there's a reason they hung on to him, right? They could have. There was. I'm sure there was interest in him. They could have got something for him. Not much. Maybe a Gatorade bottle or two. Not much. Okay, well... But he still was a pretty high prospect, and he's got he, he looks like he looks like the perfect baseball player, doesn't he? He's, he's got the build, he's got the arm. He can hit, yeah. When he hits it out, it just looks like he's meant to do it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Hope he's not taking so, the bus to work. So at some you have point the again. Kraken going for the playoffs in only their second year. You got the Mariners coming off of a playoff season where a lot of people are excited around the league about the Mariners' potential in 2023, and that's about to start. You've got obviously we've talked about the Huskies. Yeah. Coming back, they're co you know going to be one of college football's top five or ten teams. Well, it's funny you say that in the so, preseason. As soon as the national championship game ended, somebody sent out like it was a credible person, but yeah. and he even called it the way too early preseason poll. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he had the Huskies at number five. I mean, if you know, it, obviously it's early. To, Anybody mind starting at number it, five? Exactly. I mean, imagine right. I mean, it's incredible, incredible to think what the Huskies could be this year. They're just like one year removed from the Jimmy Lake era. Yeah. Right. Where he's shoving guys on the sidelines. <laughs> right. He couldn't make it four games. I mean, yeah. Awful. Yeah. I know. It could be a fun time in Seattle sports. And finally. then the Seahawks, who found a way to get into the playoffs. Yeah. I'm not sure how excited I am about that because they were so bad the last half of the year. But you got a Seahawks team that's got so many draft choices, they don't know what to do with them. Right. 
five and 20 and oh. 38. I think four of the top 51 picks, four of the top 51 picks in the upcoming April draft will be the Seattle Seahawks. So they get a chance to, to redo their team and yeah. add a lot of fresh new faces with the, the draft class that they had last year, which was full of, of exciting people. So. Of those four, how many do you expect? Like, how many do you demand start? And you'll be disappointed if they don't. Should they all start for the what top are we talking 51? about? The, the new draft choices? Yeah, of, of the four that they're... Let's say they don't trade away. Let's say they just take those four picks. How many would you expect to start? Well, I would expect that the number five overall pick at least makes the team. <laughs> Fine, I would too, yes. <laughs> and I don't mean the practice squad. That doesn't count. No, it does not. Yeah, he's got to make the team. No, I would say with all of the holes... You know, the real question is, are they going to take a quarterback? Okay, fine, yeah. Because if they take a quarterback at 5 or 20, he would be a quarterback for the future if they re-sign Geno, and he's not He's not start. starting, right. Okay, so you already lost a starter there. But if you told me that the four guys that they choose in the top 51 or 52, none of them are quarterbacks. Right. I would say with all the holes that they have defensively especially, five's got to be a starter. Yep. 20's got to be a starter. Yep. And one of the two guys in the second round have to be starters. I think that's fair. And by the way, I would not I would not be dissatisfied if they went out and got a center. Hmm. Like a good all-American center. You know, centers don't go very high in the draft. Yeah. You normally can get the best center in the draft either at the end of the first round or in the second round. They could probably get the best center in the draft, whoever that guy is, I don't pretend to know who the best center in the draft is. Yeah. They they passed on one famously that's playing for Kansas City in the Super Bowl coming up in a couple weeks. But I would think with that first pick of the second round or even maybe the second pick of the second round, they could get like an all-American stud center. So it doesn't have to be all defense, but I'd like to see them somewhere along the line, either in free agency or in the draft, get somebody... It's been it's been since Max Unger that they've had yeah. a center that we really liked. Justin Britt was just okay. Yep. He might have had a good year or two, but for the most part, they always run out there the small centers that get shoved back. Yeah. They need to go along with those two new tackles and they still like Damian Lewis at guard. They need a stud center yeah. that they can just plug in there for the next 10 years to be like the, the quarterback of that offensive line. Don't you think? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. Especially when you have a young running back who looks like he's going to be great. Right. Let's blow some holes open for this kid. Get, right. him, get him to the second level right. and watch what he can do. But for the most part, they're going to concentrate on their defensive, the defensive side of the football. Understandably. Which they need to do. Yeah. So, are you okay with three out of the four? Yeah, I mean, what, so two first-round picks and one second-round pick starting? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be good with that. Yeah. I mean, I would like all four, obviously. I mean, I think a second-round pick should probably start in the NFL. It's a, a pretty high draft pick. Now, anybody who knows the John Schneider way will tell you that none of the top four picks will start, but the sixth-rounder and the seventh-rounder. Yeah, right. <laughs> guys that played, like, offense and been changed to defensive oh, players. Oh, my favorite. Those guys will be in the opening day starting yeah, line. Just, those will be, like, diamonds in the rough but he'll whiff right. on 5, 20, <laughs> 38, and 51. Just give me as many projects as you can. I love to hear the word project in the draft, right? Right. So if you took the four things that I just mentioned, Kraken making their way to the playoffs for the first time in the second, second season, the excitement around the Kraken, the excitement around the Mariners. Yep. I just told you that ESPN has their offenses ranked the third best in the American leader lineup. 
to go along with one of the best, if not the best pitching staff, starting rotations in all of Major League Baseball. Huskies, you just said, are going to start the year number five, number six, number top seven. Top ten, probably, yeah. And the Seahawks are going to have four picks in the top 51 and they're going to have like seven or eight new guys coming on uh, to a team that made the playoffs. Yep. They'll probably re-sign Geno Smith. If you had to rank those four stories as most exciting to least exciting, how would you rank them? Like what I'm most excited about? Yeah, what you're most excited. You're, you're just we're not we're not crack, we're not hockey fans, so you're going to put the Kraken last, right? Yeah, probably. It doesn't yeah. mean I'm not excited though. I mean, I'm going to watch every playoff game. I'm going to be into it. I'm, of course, I'm going to root for him. I mean, wait, earlier when you were talking about the, the Patreon shows that you have and you said, we're going to have a, a Mariner. I was like, oh, yeah, the Mariners. I can't wait for them. I was like, that's going to be so awesome this season. So I think for me, Mariners is probably number one. The Huskies, Husky football, number two. I, Kraken might be three for the Seahawks. I just I, I don't know that the Seahawks are going to have enough to like make a big run at the playoffs, whereas the Kraken, maybe they go to the Stanley Cup. Who knows, right, if they're that good. There are a lot of Seahawks fans that – Really enjoyed on Sunday the 49ers <laughs> getting their asses kicked in the NFC Championship game, right? There were, and I was one of them, although uh, I can't stand Philadelphia. Everything Philadelphia sports. I have Philadelphia <laughs> fans in my life, and they're, they're Philadelphia fans in your life? Yeah, friends and neighbors, Ooh. that kind of thing. You know, More than are, the one that I know? Yeah, there's another one across the street from him who I'm friends with. Who and loves they're annoying, them. aren't they, Philadelphia oh, sports? Oh, my fans. gosh, they're so obnoxious. Why are they annoying? I, they just take it so serious. I don't know what it is, but it's like his whole life is that, you know. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. There's just something about and and they're So you so, were rooting for the 49ers. I, it was tough. It, it was like, it was the South Park episode where it was a giant douche versus a turd sandwich. <laughs> I mean, take your pick, right? I mean, who are you going to root for in that one? God. But as a Seahawks fan, I guess I had to be happy that the Niners... Oh, by the way, it's funny how all these Niner fans come out of the woodwork when they start getting good. Like, oh, I didn't know you lived in the Bay. But you have full Niner gear on, so yeah, I'm I'm happy the Niners lost. It was pretty awesome. So there was a no win situation for you in that game. Yeah, but if I had to choose, I'd pick the Eagles to win, even though I well, can't Eagle stand. Won. But now I get to root against them, even though they won. I get to root for Patch. By the way, you get yourself a good quarterback in the NFL. Maybe you'll go to th three Super Bowls in four years. That's unreal. What is he? Twenty seven. Yeah. Whoa, he's pretty good, isn't he? That Patrick Mahomes. Well, wow. they, they got the benefit of a couple of. Pretty good calls there at the end on Sunday, especially the one where he got hit out of bounds that set up the game-winning field goal. As he's running out of bounds, Piper's next to me. She can vouch for me. I said, yes. don't hit him late, don't hit him late, don't yeah. hit him late. We all saw it coming, right? Totally. You're frustrated. You've been totally. chasing his ass around all day. Totally. We saw it coming. And Had what to call is, it. He couldn't resist. And his teammate, by the way, is standing with his hands up, you know, like he has, you know, a cop's got a gun at him. Like, I'm not doing anything. Did not want to touch him out of bounds. And then what does his teammate do? Go racing by and knock the guy into the And track. then CBS shows the <laughs> oh. guy who hit him out of bounds no less than 20 times crying yeah. with his <laughs> with his head in his in his hands yeah, on, on the, the sideline. Oh, it doesn't come down to a play, but none of, I mean, yeah, that's a lot tougher field goal, right? If he doesn't hit him. There is no field goal if he doesn't hit him. What would have been like? It would have been like 50, 50 something or? Well, as it was, it was 45 and they got 15 mm. yards. How much time was left? Not much. Yeah. They would have had to get some more yardage. Otherwise, there was no field goal attempt there. Well, they're not going to try a 60 yard field goal. I don't think they're going to try a 60 yard field Speaking goal. Speaking of penalties, did you feel like there was a ton of penalties called on the 49ers, by the way? 
A lot of penalties caught on the 49ers. I mean, some timely ones. and just I thought most of them were, of course, I was rooting against them. So yeah. I thought that they were all good calls. But put, <laughs> but put, all good calls. Putting that bias aside, there's some pretty, I mean, there's some pretty big penalties. It just Huge like penalties really caught. Really? Automatic off. first downs. Yeah, just ugh. Yeah. Sometimes the NFL to me is just penalties and injuries, penalties. It's just a lot of that. I wish the refs could just take themselves out of it a little bit. It drives me nuts. Well, like it or not, you got Philadelphia and Kansas City. We've got a couple of weeks to talk about it in Super Bowl 57. The last time that the Super Bowl was in Glendale, Arizona, we won't talk about. Thank you very much. That was the last time. I don't know. Maybe there's been one since. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's always But there. I was at one in Glendale, Arizona that I just yeah. can't get out of my skull. Just can't get out. I just I feel sorry for Seahawks fans having to walk out of the stadium hearing Patriot fans. I'm sure be gracious winners the whole way out of the stadium, right? Yeah, that's what I feel most sorry for. Dave Grosby, Jason Lockenfora, and Andy Ide are the interviews, and then the other stuff segment on this episode 224. Hey, look who's back on Mitch Unfiltered. It's Katie Versio, the director of financial planning at Evergreen Golf Call. Happy New Year, Katie. I know what 2022 was like for all of us investors out there. Not good. How about for you guys at Evergreen Golf Call? Yes. Well, thanks for having me, Mitch, back on the podcast. As we've talked about many times, 2022 is a very challenging year for the markets where for the last 10 years or so, we haven't had a lot of volatility. And at the end of the year, the market ended down about 18% and bonds ended down about 13%. So it's been a tough environment for investors. Basically, every asset class was down, but it was a really good year for Evergreen. I would say there was still a lot of volatility in our portfolios, but we find a lot of opportunity during these turbulent times. We manage our portfolios very actively, and this was a real shakeup of a year where we were able to find a lot of clients that may have been managing portfolios on their own, and now we're realizing, hey, this is more complicated than I thought, and I really want to make sure that I'm holding up well for for my own goals here. For those listeners out there that don't have a plan, an investment or a financial plan or haven't reviewed it in a long time or just have questions of if you're on track, now is a great time to learn more about our services. So what would be the best way to contact you for our listeners? Do it through the website? Yes. So if you go to our website, www.evergreengk.com, you can learn more about our services on the website. And there's also a client compatibility service that you can take that will then have one of our advisors contact you. Very good to know. And for all of us who need help, and most of us do, with our investment needs, Katie Versio and Evergreen Golf Call are there for you. Evergreengk.com, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. It's great to be joined again by Fireside Home Solutions owner, John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Great to hear your voice. It's good to hear yours, too. And it's that time of the year for you guys, J-Dub. Stretch run in the NFL, we love it. Bowl games and new fireplaces from Fireside Home Solutions. Yes, and when we look outside, we see that snow already. And so we're ready to help you out. And we have great deals going on right now in our showrooms. And we want to keep you warm and cozy when those snowstorms come we did our outdoor unit with fireside and while the fireplace itself came out beautifully there are lots of places as you know that do lovely setups but it was the experience that was really impressive your team came out to the house strategized with us we came to your bellevue showroom which is crazy nice really it's the process that sets fireside apart talk about the steps that we go through this winter to get a new fireplace 
Well, we want that to be a great buying experience. Like we said, we always are here to get the best brands for you, but our belief is we need to come out and consult. We need to make sure that we measure up your fireplace, make sure that insert or fireplace is the right one for you, but also that make sure that the installation is going to work. So when we're out there for installing, you're enjoying that fireplace once we're done. From soup to nuts and garage doors too. How's that arm of your business doing, John? It's doing great. That cold weather is starting to uh, make those garage doors creak or Mm -hmm. broken springs, but we have a service department that can help you out. Or if you just need a new garage door, please call us and we'll be right out there and we'll get that replaced for you. Fireside Home Solutions has just been great. John's been great. Title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition for a third consecutive year. And just overall, a terrific partner that makes Mitch Unfiltered possible. Start your fireplace search and end your fireplace search at firesidehomesolutions.com. I do think they're in position. They've got to make good moves, of course, and they will have to up their payroll some, which they've said they're going to do when they get good and they have gotten good. Yeah, they, they should be in a position to, to, to at least make a run at being in the postseason. Episode 224, Mitch Unfiltered. We've entered a very interesting period for Seattle sports, I would say. Excitement for sure as it pertains to the second year hockey club, though I don't pay close attention, maybe I should. Uncommon anticipation for the major leaguers, the college football team, and the NFL draft in April. And that doesn't even include the inevitable return of the NBA to Seattle. I need a Northwest legend to break it all down for me, but Kevin Wall wasn't available. <laughs> Oh, so I'll have to settle. Uh, no radio graffiti. We'll just have to settle for the Graz, Dave Grosby. How are you, David? Then he also do pizza time delivery races. <laughs> First one who gets here gets paid. Uh, Mitchie, it's great to be on the show. It's uh, it, you're sounding terrific. I, I enjoyed very much episode two twenty three. In fact, I wanted to add something to, to what I heard. If I can, if I can sure. just have a moment. Sure. When you started with Danny O'Neill, and I say this because I'm half Newfoundlander, so I'm half Canadian. But that's a good Canadian. And you were talking about Eric Bedard, I believe, last yeah, week. Yeah. And the question was, why Why wasn't he a good Canadian? And and the fact of the matter is, Eric Bedard was a French Canadian. Oh. They are bad Canadians. <laughs> the rest of Canada is not like French Canadians from Quebec. <laughs> They're exactly what Eric Bedard was here. So I did want to just throw that in as, as, as a correction, if that's the right word for it. And, uh, you know, I wanted to say another thing, um, you know, I'm, I got a lot of time on my hands these days. So one of the things I'm doing is I'm taking this online, you know, kind of lecture series on, on ancient Rome, as a matter of fact, yeah. it's got me thinking about schools a little bit and education a little bit. And I want to compliment you now, your interview with, with the gal who was the, the daughter of, of the serial killer. Yeah. Rawson, I think her name was. Yes. Yes. You did an exact, exact interview. I mean, look, there are two ways of interviewing. There was my way I thought, which was, I would write down one question. And then I would listen for the answers and just do it that way. Yeah. Other people write down all the answers, all the questions, forgive me, and just stick to their script. You delivered a master course on doing both. I could tell when you were asking questions off the script. I could tell when you were, you were listening to her and answering questions based on what she said. And it was a fantastic, fantastic interview. And I did not want to do this show without, without mentioning how good that was. It was really, really excellent that you were at the top of your game, buddy. Thank you. Graz, coming from you, that means a whole hell of a lot. Thank you so very much for listening to the show 
and commenting about the show. It's uh, it's great to see. You. It's great to hear your voice, David. Thank you, buddy. Well, the show is terrific, and and like I said, it's a it's a real pl- real pleasure to be on with you. So rank them in order. The four stories. Uh, you've got the Kraken, you've got the Mariners, you've got the Huskies, you've got the Seahawks. In terms of most interesting to Dave Grosby, personal, rank them one to four. I think probably the Mariners are the most interesting one to me personally. I think the, the Kraken, although I'm I'm kind of like you, I haven't I haven't seen a ton of games this year, but I've you know I watched them a lot last year, and, and I understand kind of what they're doing this year are fascinating to me as well. Um, the Seahawks was just uh, you know the last time I was on with you, I think. We're just, I was saying what a, what a mistake it was to, to trade Russell Wilson and, and go forward without him. And, and to have the year that they had was just, just beyond belief. And, you know, the Huskies, it's funny, Mitch, for a second, I thought you were going to bring up Husky basketball. <laughs> but then I realized no one cares about Husky basketball. Yeah. But then Husky football follows because college football shot itself in the head. And I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm for what's happened there. I think that they handled the college game wrong for years and years and years. But now they've lost total control over it. It is so hard to keep track of the players flying back and forth. But your point, the Huskies won double digits with Kalen DeBoer, have a fantastic quarterback, and had a fantastic season. So I'd put them in that order. And then I'm I'm, I'm not as sure this, the NBA is right, right on the doorstep, Mitch. I mean, it's the price for a franchise is going up and up and up. You know, no one's going to, you know, going to be a, a, a tenant for that. You're going to have to have a new building built unless the guys who, who have the hockey team buy the buy the basketball team. So I'm not so sure about hockey coming, but the other ones uh, have been have been fantastic. It's been a great Seattle sports year. You know, for me, Graz, there's a downer to the Mariners and there's a downer to the Seahawks that take the edge off a little bit. The excitement. I'll go one by one with you. The Mariners is the obvious. I don't know where you stand on their offseason spending. It seems that when they extended Rodriguez during the middle of the year last year, and then they extended Castillo, who they brought in the all-star from Cincinnati in the middle of the year last year, the writing was on the wall. We know this Mariners organization too well in terms of whether they were going to go out and spend big dollars in the free agent market and bring one of those Bapo shortstops to town, Graz. Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of fallen on the other side of that. I mean, I see a team that's won 90 games plus two straight years, made the playoffs last year. Look at the pitching staff that they have. And the young guys, Logan Gilbert. Um, Marco Gonzalez had the first bad year he's had as a Mariner. I think Castillo's going to be good. I think Robbie Ray, now that the Oscar Hernandez is no longer with, with Toronto as a teammate of his, you know, has a chance to have a bounce back season. So I look at their pitching staff and I see a, I see a potential uh, of, of one of the best pitching staffs in the league. Uh, bullpen, they've been masters at coming up with arms and and interesting ones too, like Paul Seawall, the guy who doesn't throw 100 miles an hour, but is a great closer. Um, you're right, they added bit pieces to what they had on, on the team, but, you know, Hernandez in the outfield, you know, with, with some of the guys that they have, and, I mean, obviously Julio in center field, and look, you're, you're really hoping Kelnick and, and Taylor Trammell do something, but they're not, they're not all by themselves. They've added some minor free agents there. I, I guess what I'm getting, a long way of getting around it, is I think that the Mariners have put themselves in a position to win. I'm not certain. You know, uh, we talk about shortstop, and and JP is the captain. I mean, he is he is actually a very vital part of that team who, who did not have a great year last year, but has had very good years before that. So I like him. Uh, I'm not sure where I would have necessarily put the blockbuster addition. Not not that I'm saying it was it's a bad thing to do, but I like the way this team is built, and I think they're built to be good. I mean, 
very good again next year. And when you get to the postseason, Mitch, it's pitching. I mean, it's pitching. And, and the game is going to be different this year, too. I mean, that's the other thing that, that the other X factor that we've got going is a is a completely different set of rules that are really going to dramatically change things. Right. Do you imagine that they're good enough to win more than the Astros over 162 games? And does it matter if they do? Can they just be a wild card and win the world championship that way? Absolutely. I mean, it's been done that way. Um, you know, the Astros, it's funny. Look, look at them. I mean, the Astros shrugged off Carlos Correa. I mean, they lose one of the best shortstops in the game and it doesn't even impact them. That's how deep that franchise is, how good that franchise is. And they're, they're pulling from, within for the most part to come up with their top players. So I don't think they're as good as the Astros next year. I mean, years to come, we'll see Houston's farm system is, is daunting. And that's what the Mariners have tried to build for themselves is that kind of a farm system. I definitely see them as a team that would, would be in the wild card. I mean, I'd be shocked if they weren't in the wild card race. And absolutely you can go from the wild card to winning a world series, but Houston is the team that, that, to, the catch, I mean, I'm not sure that Texas is doing anything. Look at all the money that they spent, Mitchie, in the past couple of years. Kyle, uh, Kyle Seeger's brother, amongst yep. others, and yep. they've done absolutely nothing. And then Artie Moreno, I mean, is is going to maintain ownership of the Angels, which is good news for the Mariners <laughs> because he's managed to not win with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, right. who's going to lose to the Dodgers next year anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the Mariners are in good position in this division, with the exception of Houston, to, to be able to take advantage of those games. So I think 90, 95 wins is, is going to be is going to be in this team's future for the next couple of years. I think they're in good shape. So going back to the Seahawks. Yeah, you may have heard me talk about it on 223. Uh, Maybe you didn't. I you did. know, there's a lot of ways to look at the Seahawks. What happened over this last past season has been was tremendous. It really was unexpected. I didn't expect them to win more than, you know, six, seven, eight games. They win nine they make the playoffs. Who would have thought that they'd have a Pro Bowl quarterback on their hands? They did. They seem to have found the guy, if they want to pay him, that can bridge the gap until the next guy comes around and a guy who can win for them. So on, And they've got all these great young players mm -hmm. offensively and defensively. All this rookie class was amazing. So on one hand, you look at it and you say, just an amazing kind of out of the woodworks year and excited to think about what's next. But the other part to this that I can't get beyond is over the last eight, nine weeks of the season, with all those things that we just yeah. mentioned, including the Buccaneers game in Germany and then all the way through, they were one of the worst 10 teams in the NFL, even with the quarterback and the rookies and all the great things happening. I mean, they had to hold on for dear life just to somehow get into the playoffs. So if they were to start the season next year the way they ended it this year, they're that 6-11 and 11 team that we thought was coming on last year. So I don't know how much stock to put in the fact that they were so very bad those last eight or nine weeks. Yeah, three and five. I mean, it was it – was, that Tampa game, for some reason, seemed to change everything for them, and I doubt it was the travel. But, I, you know, I feel a little more confident than you in, in terms of some things about this. Um, you know, they had rookies all over – as you talked about, Mitch, they had rookies all over the, the field, and – Rookies tend to, to slow down the second half of the year. Okay. And I think that happened. Um, Geno Smith um, was not the same quarterback the, the second half of the year that he was the first half. Now, he was good, and he was good enough to get some key wins and, and got them. 
but he was not the same, not the same player the second half. And and that impacted them. They, they, they're running back. I mean, look, it was supposed to be, remember Rashad Penny? We all remember him. Yeah. He, he barely lasted another year. This is the, you know, what, four, four to five years. He's barely been able to play. You've got a rookie running back who, who was doing terrific, who got hurt and, and, you know, came back a little bit later on. So I think that was a part of it as well. I think, you know, you've got uh, every reason to be optimistic. Like you said, I mean, you've got young, you had young guys in every, every, part of the offense and defense really on, on the back line defensively, you know, the, the two tackles that that's an amazing achievement to draft two offensive tackles and they both start for you and they're both pretty damn good. Yeah. You know, with a chance to get a whole lot better and you got a chance to build with, with that. I mean, think of the money teams spend on quality left tackles, for example, and the Seahawks don't have to spend that kind of money for, for four or five years. So, you know, they, they really hit their second home run for John Schneider in the draft. Goes without saying how important the draft is coming up. Sure. Uh, because they've got that pick. And I've heard you talking about that last week, too, what you would do with the pick. And, you know, I think it was you mentioned Jimmy Johnson's thing about yes. what it would cost him up to number three. Yep. Uh, you know, I think John Schneider is going to have to, if I'm well, not going to have to, but it, it, his natural inclination is to move down. Of course. Of course. Move down. And, and, you know, you can still capture players, but he's, he's at such a position here that, you know, I wonder what if he'll do that. I mean, there have been other occasions where he, when there's Earl Thomas there, you take him, for example. I mean, just to, to use that as an example. Right. So depending on how they judge the talent, I mean, my my expectation would be that they'll trade down and and just make this a cornucopia of draft picks. Will that be a bummer if they trade down from five or so used to seeing him trade down and and yeah. add picks? Now they've got a top five pick that's very rare for the Seahawks. Will it be a bummer to the Seahawks? nation to see them trade out of that pick if they do i mean i guess for some people it will be but you know i think in schneider we can trust i mean he's just he, he like i said he, he's been so good at it for the most part that no i would i would not be I, ugh, i'm not gonna lie you know you, you you see one of those great players go off the board that you know you could have had there um you're gonna maybe think what is he doing but then again you think about what he did last year and if that means you're gonna give him a bunch more picks in the second and third round I mean, they've made they've made their fortune doing that. They made their fortune in late round picks. So, uh, I'm not going to be as disappointed as, as some will be, but there there would be a sense of, geez, man, look who you passed up. Uh, depending on on who's there, and you know, some great edge rushers are going to be there, and that's where they've got to improve the most. You know, I, I kind of I was watching the I think the playoff game and watching C.J. Stroud and was thinking, geez, you know, when are you ever going to have a swing at a quarterback? that high. And, and, you know, you can say, well, you don't need to, I mean, you, you can always swing and miss there, but you know, you can also swing and connect there. Yeah. Like uh, Trevor Lawrence, for example, there are plenty of great picks who go early sure. or quarterbacks. So, sure. sure. You know, they got, they got some decisions to make, but I, I think they wind up grabbing as many draft picks as they probably can. I want to go back before we get off the Seahawks topic to something you just said about Gino. And I was watching you and listening to you, as you mentioned that Gino was just not as good the second half of the year. He was good enough. I think your words were he was good enough to win a couple of key games and get them in. Right. And I was judging based on listening to you whether you think there is reason for hesitation based on the second half of the year. Nine weeks into the year, it was an easy decision. Franchise right. him, give him 30 a year, give him three years, 90 million or whatever you got to give him to keep him here. And then he goes out and he's kind of average in that second half of the year. What kind of hesitation does that lead Dave Grosby to? Uh, it just it leads me to this, Mitch. You, you better take advantage of the draft picks you have to have your next quarterback on board. 
Um, I don't expect Geno Smith. I don't expect the floor to fall down, open up on him and him to completely become the guy he used to be. But, you know, he did show you some signs of, of maybe not being the, the everything that we thought he could be. And look, I, I, I'm not criticizing him at all because I thought it was a tremendous performance and he's got an upside too. That was his first really full year as a starter. And, you know, he seems to work. And I agree with, I think Danny was talking about this in your last episode. You know, he works so well with Pete Carroll that it seems to me you can, you, what makes sense here for, I think everyone is let's do a two or three year deal. Let's get you a lot of guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. but not $35 million or $40 million. Okay. Let's get you, let's get you paid, but let's, let's save some money so we can get some more pieces for you to be more effective right? and, and continue your, your upward arc. Because, you know, if he, if he can play like the guy, the first six, seven weeks, well, then you are set, right. Then it doesn't matter what you do. And, right. and then it's Russell Wilson, you know, and you, you hired Matt Flynn to be your quarterback and, and someone else does it. If, if someone doesn't beat out Gino, that's fine. But I think you want to, you want to, Buck up that quarterback position a little bit. Now, maybe Drew Locke. I mean, look, they, they told us Gino was the guy, and we didn't believe that. Maybe Drew Locke has some skills, and maybe he is is going to be the, the heir apparent. But, you know, I thought the, the second half of the year with Geno Smith, you know, kind of showed you that, look, you're still going to need a long-term answer here. Not a short-term answer. He should be fine for the next couple of years. Don't break the bank. I don't think you want to do a franchise tag because that's so much money. Right. I think he'd agree to, it just seems to me that he, he, he had to look around and see what this year meant for him. He seemed very smart, Mitch. You know, that was the takeaway I had from Geno Smith this year. This is a guy who's got some wisdom uh, from his, from what he's been through. And he understands a good situation and he understands he's in a good situation. So I, I think that they can continue with him while taking advantage of their draft capital to get the guy for the future. You just talked about how Geno and Pete work so well together. Perfect segue to the Huskies. Kalen DeBoer and mm-hmm. Michael Penix. What a duo. What a duo. 15 months ago, Graz, 15 months ago, if I had asked you on a Zoom, who's Kalen DeBoer, you would have had no idea who the guy was. 15 no. months ago. And 15 months later, he has engineered, what, a 10-11 win first campaign. He brought his former quarterback in. They won together. The Huskies are going to be a preseason top eight team next year, probably. They got a hell of a schedule, but we'll see how it works out. My question to you is, beyond next year, is this the start of a great era of Huskies football, or is this just the magic of Penix and DeBoer together, that combo that will disappear in 2023, and then it will be business as usual for the Huskies, which is good, maybe not great. What a great question. I mean, you're not going to recapture what you had here. I mean, this is this was DeBoer being Penix's offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach in Indiana. So, you know, he knew what he was bringing in. That, that's once in a lifetime thing. I mean, there aren't other players like that who have been in that situation with him unless he had someone at Fresno State we're not thinking of. I don't know if you can capture that lightning in a bottle again. And then, you know, do the backdrop of the year before, Mitch. Jimmy Lake was fired. You'd lost to Montana. You were terrible. Right. And, and all of a sudden you are outstanding. So it's going to be a real challenge. Let's not forget the Pac-12 is changing too. And, and you know, in a couple of years, UCLA is out and, and USC is out. And mm-hmm. who knows if Washington's going to remain in the Pac-10 or, or whatever they call it at that point. They may be in the Big Ten in, in two, two years. So that would change the thinking too. So 
I'd love to give you a solid answer. I, I, I can't. I mean, I, I just so much can possibly change in college football over the next couple of years. It's, it's impossible to predict what, where Muskies are going to be. Yeah. And, and he's just never going to have a relationship like he had in this case where, where he brought in a quarterback that he knew he knew he and Mike Gastineau and, and Tom Wassel, the Indiana grads in town, right. knew that he was going to be great. And, and they absolutely were. So, you know, I'm, I, I think probably a second part of what you said, they're, they're probably likely to slip back a little bit. But um, hell, they should be fantastic this year. Pennis can stay healthy. The encouraging element of it for me, trying to answer that very same question, is when you watch them perform offensively, for as great as Penix is, and he's great. I mean, he's right on the money. He seems to make the right decisions. He's simpatico with DeBoer. They are perfect together. But when you watch that Husky offense, he's throwing the guys that are wide open 90% of the time. And that, to me, is scheme. Something that DeBoer, some magic that DeBoer has as an offensive mind is getting guys running wide open. There aren't defensive backs even in the screen half the time that right. Penix is throwing. So if that's the case, if DeBoer really has the Midas touch when it comes to scheming and getting guys wide open, well, maybe you don't need Michael Penix every year to have a high-flying offense. Maybe the next maybe the next quarterback, whomever he is, will find wide open wide receivers in the years to come. We, we should find out next year because now everyone's got film on Kalen DeBoer's offense in the Pac-12, and especially the teams that play, play him again, obviously the division opponents you know, know what to look for now. We'll see if that makes a difference or not. But, you know, you may be right. I mean, DeBoer has been an offensive mind. And and if that's the case, Washington's going to have a hard time keeping him. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it, but, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll, draw, it'll draw views, looks from all over the place. So, you know, it was a really good point you made about guys breaking wide open. It seemed like busted coverages all over the field all the time. And I don't know how much of that is Penix, too, because he, he understands – you know, how to go through his progression so effortlessly in this offense. Right. You know, it's going to be, uh, it's something that we don't have to worry about for another year because you've got the two of them back next year and it should be a hell of a show next year. So before you jump off, you and I both agree that it's exciting to have an NHL team here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. You and I also both agree that it's been tough with everything else going on in our world, sports-wise, non-sports world, to jump in. To jump in, if you're not a hockey guy, if you didn't grow up, I grew up in Florida. There was no hockey in Florida. My first really run-in with hockey was going up to Syracuse and and rooming with a guy from Boston who was a big, you know, Boston Bruins fan. He kind of taught me the game, and I started to learn it. It's just been difficult for me to watch game in, game out. I throw it on the television screen here and there. But, you know, they're tied with Vegas. With uh, two, fantastic this year. Two, two less games played than Vegas, and they're tied with them in the division. And they're behind Winnipeg and Dallas from the other division in the West, but both of those teams have played three more games than have the... I mean, there's an argument to be made that we're sitting on the best team in the Western Conference and one of the odds-on favorites to go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. What will it take for guys like you and me to really get the fever? Ross. Well, I mean, uh, I, I do have more of a hockey background than you, Mitchie, because, okay. uh, you know, the first team to ever give me a credential as a young broadcaster were the New York Islanders. I know that. Yes. In the 70s. Yes. So, I mean, I, I saw them and, and it's funny. I'm going to use them as an example for what has happened with the Kraken this year. You know, one of the key things that happened with the Islanders that led them to those four championships, they had a guy named Glenn Chico Resch was their goalie. And then 
they added another guy, Billy Smith, who was, who was oh, a sure, battler, sure. who was just a, a dirty player almost. But what he was was a great goalie. And they kind of fought for the number one spot. But what the bottom line was is they had two tremendous goalies, and they kind of built it from there. The the Kraken this year, that, that Philip Grubauer, who they're planning on playing the year, and then it's, it's Martin Jones. Martin Jones came in when Grubauer was hurt in October, just played great, and it was something like that that, you know, took the pressure off the team. All of a sudden, their offense flows. In Matty Beneers, they got themselves a Julio Rodriguez, and he's playing like one. He's an all-star in his first year. Um, they're, they went on a road trip, you know, a couple of weeks ago and yeah. won seven straight or eight straight. Never happened in the NHL history before. You spoke, talk about the Boston Bruins who were like 32 and six or 32 and four when they played them <laughs> and they beat them. Yeah. So, you know, if they're not getting your attention now, I don't know what's, what it's going to take, but I do think that for the, you know, classic Seattle sports fan who <laughs> has not necessarily paid a lot of attention to hockey and there wasn't a real reason to last year. It's it's we love a winner here. We got a winner here. I mean, this is this is something that's going to be easy to follow because they're they're going to be good. I have always maintained, Mitch. There's nothing more exciting than the NHL playoffs. There's nothing more exciting than a Game Seven in the Stanley Cup. It's just it, especially when you've got a team on the line there. And this these guys should be in the mix uh, for an NHL championship this year. Now they're not a favorite or anything like that, but they've shown they can play with anyone. So uh, I think that having the spotlight kind of themselves for the next couple of months and playing real well is going to get a lot more people on board. I certainly I hope it will because they're really playing an entertaining brand of hockey. Beautiful, David. It's great Mitchie, to see you. Great to see you, David. I, I love to be on with you. I, I'm uh, just it's it's always great to hear your voice. I say it every time, but but the show is, is terrific. I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of episode 224. Thank you. I'm looking forward to being on some others in the 200s and in the 300s <laughs> and the 400s and the 500s as, uh, as you go on and on and on with this. It's uh, just, it's a great show and I really appreciate being a part of it, buddy. You, you sound better than ever. Thanks, Mitchie. Better than that ever. That means a lot too. That means a lot too. Better than ever. Dave Grosby, ladies and gentlemen, episode 224. Thank you, Gros. Thanks, Mitchie. 2023 is here, as is the CEO of Daniel's Broiler. Lindsay Schwartz is back with us, and I'm hopeful that, Lindsay, you'll give us a little update on 2022, how it ended in the holidays, and look forward to goals and hopes for 23. How is everything over there? Yeah, Mitch, it's great. Good talking to you again. I hope you enjoyed the holidays. We sure did. Like we've talked about, it's a busy time for us, and uh, we had a, a fantastic holiday season. We had a little bit of ice and snow to dodge, but uh, didn't slow us down much, so we're really happy with the way things turned out. Wrap up 2022 for Daniel's Broiler as it compared to 2021 at the four locations. You know, it was better. Sales were up, pretty much fully staffed, and we're excited. We had to dodge some uh, supply chain some inflationary pressure, but uh, overall, it, it was a really good year for us. So when you look forward to this year and what you'd like to accomplish in the next 12 months, for Daniel's Broiler, what's the challenge? You know, overall, just uh, to continue to see some of the inflationary pressures ease, to see the supply chain get straightened out, that would help all four of our locations. The one we're most excited about is our downtown location, downtown Seattle. It's in the Hyatt Regency on the second floor. It's the biggest location we've ever done. It's got the newest decor. It, it's really cool. And we opened that in 2018. We had a pretty good year in 2019. And then, of course, we all know what happened in 2020. So tough timing to open a brand new 
space. But the convention center edition opens in January. It's right across the street from the hotel. We're super excited about that. And we hope it just kind of helps with the momentum overall of downtown Seattle. There's, there's more people working downtown than there were the previous year. And we hope that that trend continues. There's more people that'll be taking cruises up to Alaska, leaving from Seattle this summer. So we think that's going to be great. So, so lots of exciting things going on downtown Seattle. And, and hopefully it's just revitalized and get this thing rolling again. I'd imagine that most of our listeners that have been to Daniel's Broiler have not experienced that location. And it's right there across from the Paramount. It's a great night out on a Saturday night if you want to try it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it appeals to locals who are going to Seattle downtown for whatever reason, whether they're going to a show or going shopping, uh, working downtown. And then also, of course, for travelers, for, for business travelers, for tourists. So it really appeals to a wide range. And uh, yeah, people who haven't been there should, should go check it out. It looks a little bit different, kind of updated from the other three. It's really fun and it's cool. Daniel's Broiler in 2023 and try out. The downtown location opened in 2018. Let me tell you, I've been there. It's magnificent. It's a perfect night out on a Saturday night if you want to give it a try. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Take your time and take the shot down. Here's Mahomes rolling out on third and four. He's going to go for the Yes, He's got the marker. He's got the out of bounds to stop it. And Osai was hurt as he hit the bench. And a flag's coming in to put him 15 yards closer. Personal foul, unnecessary roughness, defense number 58. Super Bowl 57, Glendale, Arizona. Oh, man. Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. Nightmares for all of us Seattle people, Chiefs and Eagles. Uh, the countdown to the Super Bowl Sunday presented by Taco Time Northwest here on Mitch Unfiltered. 60 years and going strong. Always on the lookout for new members to join the team. Taco Time, NW.com. Let's check in with NFL insider Jason Lockenfora. Are they still playing Super Bowls in Phoenix? Do we have to go through that? Do Seattle people have to go through watching another Super Bowl in Phoenix? I guess you do. Yeah, I was at that one. That one was crazy. Oh. I've been to a lot of crazy ones, but oh. that one certainly stands out. Look, the good news is for Seahawks fans, that's the closest the Arizona Cardinals are getting to an actual Super Bowl themselves in a long, long time. Like, I, I, if I could go to some sports book and put odds on the Arizona Cardinals reaching a Super Bowl in the next 25 years with Bidwell as their owner, I would fade them. So I don't know that that makes me feel any better. I don't think that makes me feel any better. Do you like, do you like chiefs versus Eagles? I saw just before we started to record, pick them. You don't see a Super Bowl pick them every day. No, you don't. I mean, look, there's a lot of interesting stuff here right off the bat. You've got Kelsey versus Kelsey. You've got Andy Reid versus the ghost of Andy Reid. I mean, Andy Reid went to five straight championship games with the Eagles versus Andy Reid, who just went to his fifth straight AFC championship game with the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of time to kind of sort through this. And I I do think the Chiefs got got away with one a little bit here tonight. But I I did not like the Jalen Hurts that I saw in this game. And he didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot to beat the Giants, right? And I'm a little worried about that shoulder. And 
you look at some of even just the little five yard outs, the little flares that he threw, it wasn't particularly accurate. It wasn't really sharp. He, he, you know, whatever it was, 15 to 25, yada, yada, yada. But like everything kind of looked like a struggle. And I think Mahomes with two weeks now to manage himself through this injury and Kelsey with two weeks to manage him, him, you know, manage the back spasms. It might be as good as the Eagles secondary is and this or that. They have not faced murderers row. You know, you go back and look at the Eagles and every game they played and who the quarterback was, you know, and who the play caller was and what the scheme was like. I do think this is going to be a little bit of a different exercise for them. And you look at the Chiefs and assuming they get some of the guys back who got banged up, they've been there. You know what I mean? Most of this team has played in a Super Bowl before. They've won a Super Bowl before. And this is going to be uncharted territory for Sirianni and and Hertz, et cetera. So my my initial sort of reaction is yeah. the Chiefs surviving the Bengals, who had been, you know, a little bit of voodoo for them. On a neutral field, fast track, perfect conditions. High scoring? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's certainly the potential for that because – I still don't buy the Chiefs defense. I mean, Spags had – Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, had, had a hell of a day. There was also a lot of things that sort of went their way, and they faced a team that only had two offensive linemen. That's going to be a different ask. Like, Chris Jones is not going to be able to wreck a game against that Eagles offensive line, you know, the the, the way he did against this shell of a, of a Bengals offensive line. Yeah. I don't know. But, again, I go back to the Hurts thing. I, I – and I know they had the one drive where they ran him a bunch and he finished it on the ground. Yes. So you'd think, well, if his shoulder was even a little messed up, why would they do that? But there were so many errant passes, like so many balls that were airmailed from the start of that game to the finish. And usually when that's the case, it means that something in the kinesiology of that quarterback, like something in his medicals is not right. On Sunday, you were kind of tough on Kyle Shanahan. On the old Twitter, yeah. on the old Twitter feed, tough circumstances, but Kyle Shanahan botched another playoff game, blowing critical challenge, having Johnson passing out of empty, throwing at the end of the half, not going to the Wildcats sooner, no garbage reps for JJ down the stretch, not their day, but his fingerprints all over this. Man, yeah. that's that's a that's a tough tweet. Well, the, that's a the, the the end of the first half was shameful. I mean, it was absolutely ludicrous. Like, I don't know what the hell he thought he was doing. And look, all my money was on the Eagles, and I made a lot of money on the Eagles today. <laughs> like, I'm doing you know our live betting shows at CBS, and I'm like, look, I'm glad that this jackass is jackassing again. But like, if you're a Niners fan, you should be fairly apoplectic. Like, you're only down a score. Right. You have a chance, and you just bullied them. You know, McCaffrey just had the run of all runs and he broke through a bunch of tackles and you finally scored a touchdown. And now all you have to do is bleed the clock and you get the ball to start the second half. And what is this a-hole doing? You know what I mean? Like, is he trying to prove that like I can beat them with Josh Johnson? I I don't know, man. When the stage gets big, he comes up small. And like, there's people out there who look at the 28 to three scenario and are like, Oh, that happened to Kyle. No, Kyle did that. No, that was Kyle. Like, that was Kyle being cute. Like, that was Kyle being coy. That was Kyle showing you how great of a head coach he was going to be, and it bit him in the ass. And since then, he's become very sort of hyper-conservative, which is, that's fine. Like, be who you are. 
But that's who he was up until he wasn't with Josh Johnson, who he didn't give any reps to in garbage time down the stretch, who did, who was super rusty. And now we're coming out against a team with 75 sacks in Philadelphia. But all we have to do is get the game to the half down one, one score, and maybe we talk it out at the half and we figure some things out. And he's out there chucking it around, you know, with no extra protection. Like, what are you doing? What do you think's going to happen? It's Josh freaking Johnson. Nobody thought he was going to play in this game. And now you've got to use him to get through three more, you know, another half, plus the remainder of this quarter. And no, I thought it was asinine. Absolutely asinine in real time. And again, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And I baked it into some of my cake because that's what this cat does in those situations. It's part of the reason I like the Eagles so much. But like to actually sit there and watch it and say, you've got Debo you've got McCaffrey and you're going to put it, you know what I mean? You're going to have Josh Johnson taking shotgun snaps, empty set. Like what do you, what, what's the upside? What do you think you're gaining? No, it's crazy to me. And this stuff doesn't just happen to him. The reason he's a part of all this, like the reason this all revolves around him is because he's part of it. <laughs> you better hope that Kyle Shanahan isn't making the final decision on financial aid for your daughter at Syracuse. That's yeah, for sure. No, he's not. <laughs> trust me. Uh, you know, I really don't care if he was. But, uh, like, I, I just think he's one of the most overhyped, most really? overblown coaches really? in the NFL. You don't he's th- a great play caller. He's not a great NFL head coach. No. Really? He's not. And part of the reason he's not such a great NFL head coach is because a lot of the quarterbacks he's, pitched, he's, he's picked up sucked. But look at the job he's done. To get him where they went with a no-name quarterback that he picked last in the draft, you don't give him enough. You don't give him any credit for that. No, I mean I'll give him some credit for it, but like he, he's also like told people he could win with C.J. Beathard and he could win with Nick Mullins and he could win with anybody and like, like I I I, I don't know, man. Like again, being a, a really good schemer doesn't mean you're a great head coach. He doesn't manage games. Like he manages the quarterback position. Okay, that's awesome, but that's that's wow. not the end all and be all. But again, you can look through the totality of his career as a coordinator and as a head coach. And he's come up really, really small and he's come up really, really small when he's had big leads. And that to me is pretty telling. Like, and again, it's if you can't manage things when they're going all your way and you can't manage things in a game like this. So what do you do now? You lean into chaos. You lean into, um, the higher potential than not that that shotgun snap to Josh Johnson there when you've got Debo and you've got McCaffrey and, and, and I, I, the second half was shameful. You know, his team's devolving. They're committing penalties all over the place. They're losing their cool. And he's got Brock Purdy in there to hand off in the pistol. I mean, what the hell was that? Yeah. They didn't go what out. What are you doing? Your season's on the line. They didn't like, go out. Pathetic. I get it. It's, it's tough, but like, that's asinine. I mean, how are you not going to Debo or McCaffrey out of those sort of in a wildcat look in the early in the third quarter? Like you finally do it when you're down, whatever it was, 27 or whatever, 30 late. Like, I don't know, man, that, that seems a little uh, suspect to me. His team did not look good. Did not look classy coming out of that game. That's for sure. No. No, there was a lot of Bush League stuff going on. Yeah, Your first blush, it's early. We won't hold you to it. You've got two weeks. Your first blush is the Chiefs beat the Eagles in Super Bowl 57. First blush. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. I, and again, I, a lot of this has to do, and I'm a big Hertz guy. And like, I, I am not, I, this is not an, like an indictment on Hertz's future and the Eagles have to pay Hertz and they will pay Hertz and they're going to continue to win a lot of games with Hertz. They're going to have to throw the ball to win this game. They're going to have to unlock the downfield passing game. The Eagles never really got that going and Hertz never really looked that accurate. Not even just pushing the ball down the field, but even again, just the underneath stuff. It, it gives me a little concern that that, that shoulder is a little is a little jacked up. Jason Lockenfora, who also does some work for the Washington Post, you did a recent article on the quarterback movement that's coming this mm-hmm. offseason. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Carr, Brady. We're watching the uh, the Geno story out here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Let's go one by one through them and give us a g- give us an early again an early first blush. Sure. What happens with Aaron Rodgers? I think Aaron Rodgers is going to Las Vegas. I don't think he wants to go to the Jets. I don't think he wants anything to do with Woody Johnson. It's just I don't think he wants to play for Robert Sala, you know, a defensive-minded defensive coordinator who is the head coach. I don't think he wants anything to do with the New York media, like not even a little bit. Yeah, I, I just don't think at the end of the day that's a fit. I think he'd rather be in, in Vegas with his boy Devontae Adams on a fast track, in a dome, and, and in a much smaller market okay. in terms of sort of media and glare and everything else. Okay. Okay. Lamar Jackson. I think he's going to be traded to the Atlanta Falcons. That owner will be totally into it. He was totally into Deshaun Watson until the guy in Cleveland gave Deshaun Watson an, unhar- an, un- an unprecedented um, an unimaginable NFL contract that happened, but that's a college town. You know, that's a college football town. And even when Matt Ryan was winning MVPs and the Falcons were competing, you know, with Tony Gonzalez, right. that wasn't a tough ticket, not in the least. It hasn't been a tough ticket since Mike Vick was at peak Mike Vick. I think Lamar Jackson can provide that. Lamar Jackson is only 26 years old. Lamar Jackson with a uh, Drake London and a Kyle Pitts and you improve the offensive line a little bit, and you keep court. I mean, Lamar Jackson in the backfield with Cordero Patterson would be freaky. And that's a, a really watered-down division, and Arthur Smith, the the coach there, should be able to, you know, a quarterback guy, a play-calling guy, should be able to come up with some interesting stuff. So uh, the Ravens don't want to trade him in the AFC. They want to do it to the NFC. They, they're not going to pay this kid. The owner's not going to pay the kid. The owner, he's not going to do it. And they're not going to come to terms on a contract extension and he'll get franchised. And once he's franchised, if the owner doesn't really want to pay him, which he doesn't, then you better trade him ASAP. What's the inside word on Brady, Tom Brady going to play another year. He's absolutely playing. And where, you know, I, I wrote five, six weeks ago at the Washington post that he wasn't going back to Tampa that everybody I was talking to there, Where'd the same people who a year ago told me he was going to retire. were like, he ain't coming back. He wants to be in San Francisco. And look, if you're San Francisco and you made it to the AFC, uh, the NFC championship game with Brock Purdy attempting like 19 and a half passes a game, then why wouldn't you prefer Tom Brady to attempt those 19 and a half passes? Like, you know, it, it wasn't spectacular. If the scheme's that good and guys are getting schemed open and it's yak here and it's yak there and it's multiplicity in the run game and it's a great offensive line 
and it's the number one defense. Well, that's how Peyton Manning won his second Lombardi. I mean, Lance, who knows when he's healthy, when he's truly, truly healthy, and if he can stay healthy. You know, and Purdy, I, I don't know. If a team like that can get Tom Brady and he's going to go there for, you know, on the cheap yeah, because that's where he wants to be, that makes sense for me. We're all watching the Geno Smith story. I think most of us believe that he'll end up back here one way yeah. or the other. But yes, I, what I what I'm curious about is what I don't know that I'll ever know the answer to this. What kind of market is he going to have? Are there teams that are going to be calling that are going to be trying to trying to woo him away from Seattle, or is the general consensus is that he had a nice year? He's a nice story. He's going to play yeah. better. He's going to play better there than he's going to play here, and that the line won't be long in terms of suitors for Geno. No. They they want they're gonna want him more than anybody else. Like it's it's a fit. They love this redemptive story. They love not having any quarterback drama anymore. But like you look at the totality of his career and how long it took to get to this point. And then you really you compare weeks one through, you know, ten versus yeah. eleven through first round of the playoffs, it really is kind of a tale of two seasons and they're going to be in a position to, you know, if they want to draft somebody and have the best of both worlds or just add to the team and, you know, in real time. And mm-hmm. maybe, I, although this draft is really bereft of quarterbacks, once you get past the first four that are going in the first round, maybe there's somebody else who, who kind of does it for them in the mid rounds as a Russell Wilson project 2.0. But I mean, Pete wants to win. You know what I mean? Like we all know where Pete is in, at this stage of his career and, he wants to win, and he won way more games this year with Geno than anybody else thought he would. And he's going to want them more than he's going to want anybody else. And they're going to want him more than they're going to want really anybody else at that price point. Your daughter's going to Syracuse, Jason. Following the old well, man. Following in the old man's is, footsteps. I mean, yeah, the early decision thing, I guess. She's locked in. I mean, I'm I'm not conceding all my leverage. I'm I'm trying to <laughs> pretend with the financial aid office, like I have other options. I mean, I, I guess legally, I probably do. Like, I really want to get down and dirty with it, like you know, and say that early decision thing isn't truly, truly binding. Um, but yeah, Mitch, we've got some things to work through. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't know if she's where she's going to be, Mount Olympus or wherever her uh, freshman living arrangements will be. Amazing. But yeah, she's she's loves her some Central New York. How did that happen? I don't know because I didn't <laughs> propagate it. I trust me. I'm probably, you know what it was? What was I it? probably should have. In uh, hindsight, where yes. I messed up is, yes, I should have yeah. been like, you got to go to Syracuse. Yes. Like, I went the complete other way. I faded Syracuse through yeah. the whole process. Yeah. You know, when we visited there, I was very, like, lukewarm. And I should have been like, you've got to go here. You've got to go here. And then, like, you know, she would have gone to University of Maryland. And I would have <laughs> saved myself, I don't know, $70,000. But instead, I pushed Maryland. Oh. And, and I, and I, and I, cost, I don't know. And I sat on Syracuse, and here I sit trying to figure out how we're, how we're going to make this work. But no, these are first world problems, and it's it's all good. And she's got an older cousin who's a sophomore there now, who she'll have somebody to show her to lay the land again, assuming we actually do 
fulfill our commitment. That's an early decision, except to go there. Uh, um, and yeah, whatever will be, will be. Case Mitch. Well, let this be a lesson to you for the next couple of go arounds. You'll do the right thing. Yeah. An, <laughs> you'll you'll play your cards better yeah. the next yeah. couple of times. From here on out, I'm going to be talking up the private schools and then that's hoping right. they lead right. to yeah, a that's local right. public school. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Jason Lockenfor, we love you. We love you back here in Seattle. Uh, we'll be in touch. Enjoy the next couple of weeks as we get ready for the Super Bowl. Thanks so much, Jason. All the best, brother. Thank you. Hey, it's the president of Zeke's Pizza back with us, Dan Black, joining us. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Happy New Year, Dan. I understand there was a an Alamo Bowl experience for the Black family. Yeah, Happy New Year, Mitch. Yeah, the, the Black family had a intra-family grudge match going. We had four Huskies against a Longhorn, so the whole family went down, and luckily the good guys won. And so now whenever Tank makes us mad in the future, we're just going to tell him to remember the Alamo. <laughs> That's right. You got bragging rights. Start with 2022, if you wouldn't mind. Give us kind of a recap. Successful year, mixed year. How would you how would you term the last 12 months? Yeah, I think mixed is good. From a new restaurant opening standpoint, it was phenomenal. I think we opened six or seven new restaurants and that's pretty easily a record for us. And so, you know, that momentum will continue into 2023 as well. You and most listeners probably know that, you know, the restaurant industry is tough right now. COVID in particular changed the world a lot, changed the nature of the workplace and basic operations for restaurants right now are challenging. And, you know, we certainly experience plenty of that at Zeke's. And so that's actually a big focus of us going into 2023 is, is operational, but we had challenges. We opened a lot of restaurants and so there's a lot of good with some bad. So tell us more about 2023, what we can expect from Zeke's. Yeah. The momentum will continue on the new restaurant openings. We actually have a deal done in Eagle, Idaho, which is on the outskirts of Boise really great suburb of Boise. And so that's on track to open in March. uh, We continue to work on Portland and in Oregon. And so, you know, I think we're on the precipice of, we're definitely the Northwest pizza brand. We're now geographically about to achieve that, Mm -hmm. which is super exciting. But then we're also focused on, we just launched a new technology platform. And so, you know, ordering from Zeke's has been a little clunky for the past year or so, as we made the transition, we're now coming out of that. So the customer experience in terms of ordering on our new app and online and stuff is on the verge of being better than it's ever been. So that'll be, that'll be fun in 2023. Beautiful. Before you go, people ask me all the time, Dan, what about the area, let's say South of Tequila and North of Tacoma, that region, what do you have planned for that region? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, right now, white center kind of anchors that part down there on the South but we are going to open Renton in 2023, which is going to be great. We have Burien under contract as well. I think that's probably more like 18 to 24 months out. So it's starting to fill in. But then, you know, kind of south of White Center to Tacoma is an important strategic area for us. And so we're actively looking for franchise partners there as well. Beautiful. Exciting things coming from Zeke's. And of course, we'll be by their side every step of the way. Zeke's Pizza, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Get geeky out here with Burakovsky and Tanit, but again, that line. Morgan Geeky! Find some magic! Pickpocketing move by Ross Levick. He's got it to the slot. Johnson a shot. He scores! Kent Johnson. Bernie again. 
Off Bjorkstrand. Picked up by Tolvanen. A shot. He scores! Hey, hey! What do you say? Ellie Tolvanen. 3-1. Seattle. Well, I spent Saturday night at Climate Pledge Arena with the first place team in the Pacific Division of the NHL. The Seattle Kraken, a 3-1 win over Columbus to kickstart the All-Star break. And no one is more on top of the Kraken than my man Andy Ide. And he doesn't even make fun of me for my elementary and somewhat uninformed questions. (laughs) NHL.com, the Sound of Hockey podcast. How are you, Andy? I'm doing well. And you know there are no bad questions. <laughs> <That's why laughs> I learned I, that a long time ago. That's why I love having you on the show, because you don't <laughs> you don't judge me. My first game of the year, no nice. Matty Beneers, um, despite the bad look on Friday against Calgary, something like, what, 11-3-1 in the last 15 games? Nothing to sneeze at, Andy. No, not at all. That's, that's basically the month of January. Uh it's very, very impressive. In fact, back in December, I looked at the schedule this month, and I, I had bad, bad feelings. I, I didn't know that they were going to you know, look at the teams and the travel that was involved, and I thought, this isn't going to go well. But, boy, you know that, that record is pretty impressive. That's so funny that you say that because my next question was going to be, how good are they? December was a tough month for them, but I saw people saying – that the Kraken would be exposed in January with that schedule. And that's what you're talking about. The road trip was unprecedented. Seven games. They won all seven. They got 14 points on that road trip, including a win in Boston. I don't think anybody's beaten them there in Boston except for the Kraken. So how impressive was that? That January, that, that was amazing. That road trip was amazing, and it wasn't. It wasn't just that they were on the road for seven days. It was. It was every other night they had a game, so they had no no time for practice, no real time for rest. It was just game after game, and they just they played. You know, some of the best hockey they played in the history of the franchise, and that Boston game was spectacular. It was three uh, nothing. They shut them out. First team to beat them in Boston in regulation this year. Uh, you know, it felt like a playoff game, which was which was, I think, good tidings if you if you're looking down the road a little bit. And they get a much needed break now with a week off. But yeah, this January it was one to remember because that that's an impressive number that they that they won eleven games. Because not only after the road trip, they came back and they really didn't have any time off as well back at home. It was it was game right after game. They yeah they came home on a Sunday, had a one o'clock afternoon game on a Monday, had to fly to Edmonton the next to play the next day. And then come back. So they they've been through the ringer here, and uh, you got to be impressed. I, I'm impressed with how they came out of it. So what's the national perspective? You write for NHL.com around the league. Was it kind of a cute story until they went out on that seven game road trip and did what they did? Did they did they turn heads around the league? Are are people in Boston and New York and Chicago writing that the Kraken are a contender in the Western Conference or not just yet, Andy? I think so. I, I think exactly that road trip did open some eyes. And you're right. It was a cute story beforehand nationally. It was like, oh, look, they're much they're better than last year. They've won some games. You know, they're they're. They're in a playoff position. That you know, that's fun. But then they go on that road trip. You know, they, they go they go through Canada and into the East. Yeah, that's where a lot of the media resides. And so I think, 
you know, it was funny watching the other the other cities, the other team media kind of react to those games. Yeah. You know, some of them still thought like, oh, how could we lose to the Kraken? But that's starting to change now. Now you hear national people say, you know what, this team's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're in great position right now uh, for the post-All-Star uh, break uh, run to the playoffs. So, yeah, we very well could see playoffs at Climate Pledge Arena this, this spring, which would be something else. Yeah. So help me understand, as a guy who doesn't know anything about hockey, Help me understand the two or three biggest reasons for the turnaround from last year. I mean, they were at times not even competitive. I remember the game that I went to last year against Colorado. They oh, were yeah. down, they were down like six nothing in the second period. I mean, it was <laughs> I was like, how did I pick this game to come to of all games? Right. So what? Give me two or three big reasons why. And and when I went on Saturday night, I saw a lot of the same names that I saw last year. So how is it possible? <laughs> that this group, this collection of guys could have such a turnaround? Well, for starters, they, they made a few uh, key acquisitions in, in the summer. Uh, they got Oliver Bjorkstrand uh, at a trade with the, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He, he's, been a, he's been a big impact. Uh, and then a full season of Matty Beneers, I think, also has been an impact. That, that's, that's number one. It's just, they, they score more goals now. They, they struggled to score goals last year. They just, you know, I think they barely averaged two goals a game, and they're up over three now. Uh, that that's a big difference. Uh, you know, a year together on defense, they pretty much have the same the same six defensemen at the end of the season with last year, but they've now have have a year together under their belt, mm-hmm. and so they're gelling a little better. And then the goaltending has been better this year. It's it's been a little bit more consistent. So, you know, still could use some more consistency, but but they've they've improved there too. Philip Grubauer, who had a great game last night uh, against Columbus, is playing much better of late. So. It's just uh, it's partly the additions they made, uh, and, and then also just gelling together a little bit, and and then playing playing you know consistent hockey. Their lineup is pretty. They don't rely on one guy. So if one guy doesn't score right last year, like right. if Jerry McCann didn't score last year, you wondered well, who's gonna score. And this year they have four lines that can all put the puck in the net, which makes them tough a tough team to match up against because you can't just focus on one player or one line. I was gonna ask you about that later. I mean, here they are with one of the best records in the sport. They've got one of the best records in the Western Conference. I know there are a few teams in the Eastern Conference that mm-hmm. have better records, but they only have one all-star in Beniers. So that tells me, as somebody who doesn't follow it, that they must have great depth. And I and I heard you guys on the podcast the other day talking about how their second, third, and fourth lines are kind of interchangeable, Andy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, especially their fourth line, you know, the fourth line, you know, traditionally in, in hockey is a, a line of like pluggers, you know, guys who just who maybe play physical, but don't really do much. You, you hope that they don't mess up. That's kind of, you yeah. know, you, yeah. you put them in the game for like eight minutes a game a night and you just hope that they don't screw it up too bad. But this year, the fourth line, especially Daniel Sprong, are not only playing great defense. I, I think they've only allowed like two or three goals against, but they're scoring. Daniel Sprong is having a, you know career year scoring, and if you look at league wide, if you if you go by uh, points, goals, and assists per sixty minutes, he's one of the top scorers in the league. Uh, he just he only plays ten minutes on the fourth line, right? But they're getting a lot of uh, uh, production out of that line, which normally is just a checking line. Like I said, uh, you, you just put them in there to give other guys a rest, but this, that this fourth line is, is good. And that creates all kinds of matchup problems for other teams. You know, usually the other team put out their fourth line against your fourth line and, 
and you just it's like a stalemate, but not this year. So, you know, that road trip they went on, they I think the first six games of that road trip, they never had a guy score more than two, more one goal per game. So they were, every night it was uh, it was a team effort, and they're still getting that. Uh, and that not only will help them win, but if they get into the playoffs, that, that makes for a dangerous playoff team that has that kind of scoring depth. Some interesting games along the way. We talked about the game in Boston and the seven games on the road. The other night before the All-Star break, they beat Vancouver up pretty bad. And... I'm just wondering about that rivalry. Is there a rivalry? They had lost, I think. I don't think they had beaten Vancouver since they came into the league. Correct. Until the other night. And Vancouver's not very good. So is that a kind of getting the monkey off their back kind of game? Or is it just another victory over a bad team? I think, you know, because they had lost the first six games they played, I think it was getting a little bit of a monkey off. And, and I think especially the way that game went. Now, I don't think it's really been a rivalry until maybe now, because if only one team wins, it's not much of a rivalry. Right, <laughs> you know, right, right. somebody goes 6-0 and against you, I don't believe that's really a rivalry. But a few things in that game, uh, you know, it was the second game they could play with their new coach who, by the way, called the Canucks soft after the game, which is a pretty ugly sight. But mm-hmm. uh, also in that game is when Manny Beniers got hurt, where Tyler Myers knocked him down for, right. for no reason. Right. Uh, and so that, that those are the kind of things that help generate a rivalry when you, you injure one of the star players on somewhat of a questionable hit. So it could be that we could start be starting to see that. The problem is, yeah, right now Vancouver is kind of a mess, so... Uh, we'll have to see. They play two more times this year, uh, or one more time this year, excuse me, in April. But but we could be seeing the beginnings of, of a true rivalry now. You talked about that hit. I don't understand hockey, so I don't know. Tyler Myers is the guy from Vancouver who knocked Beniers down. The puck wasn't there. It was kind mm-hmm. of a blindsided hit in the middle of the ice. A lot of people are saying cheap shot. To the novice's eye, or is that just a hockey play? Was he suspended? Will he be suspended? What are the ramifications of that play? Well, I don't think he'll be suspended. We would have already he would have already had to meet with the league. They usually do that like the very next okay. day. Okay. So I, I don't see a suspension. He was penalized on the play for interference, which it was, because as you mentioned, the puck was nowhere near uh, Beniers, and you're not allowed to just knock guy over if he doesn't have the puck. Uh, I I thought it was it was right on the edge of being a dirty play. I don't think Myers. So Beniers got hurt when his head hit the ice when he, when he hit the hit the or he fell over. I don't know that Myers was wanting that to happen. So it was one of those plays that, you know, it was kind of dirty-ish, but it kind of got worse than I think Myers intended it to be. Right. He was penalized on the play, but I don't think a suspension is coming. And we still don't really know the extent of how hurt Beniers is. He missed the last two games. Right. They have a week off now, so hopefully uh, uh, that'll heal him. Uh, I know he's still up in the air to play in the All-Star game. Uh, but you know, it was it was a, it was an unnecessary hit. Put it that way, there was no reason for it. Uh, Beniers didn't have the puck. He wasn't in a position where the puck was even coming to him. He was just kind of skating through the zone, and uh, Myers went after him. So that that's kind of been the strategy of late. A bunch of teams take with Beniers is they just try to hit him whenever they can. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a young guy. He's he's not the biggest guy. Uh, I know he put twelve pounds on this summer. He might have to do that again. Uh, but I've seen a lot of teams, especially on that road trip, that they were just that that was their strategy. Hit him as many times as we can. And then unfortunately, one ended up being a bad play. So, Andy, if this were baseball, the next time that Tyler Myers stepped into the batter's box <laughs> against uh, against Seattle, there would be retribution. What happens the next time Vancouver plays 
Seattle, do they go after Myers? Do they go after one of their guys, one of their centers, one of their? Well, they, they could go after Myers. Uh, that would be the most likely. My, my, you know, you you wonder though. It's not until April if if things yeah. will be forgotten. Then, right? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, there was a fight right after the, that play, but it what didn't involve Myers. Uh, I don't know that that was necessarily related. Jamie Lekshak and then Shen got in a fight. Uh, that that may have been an old score being settled there. Uh, there's they fought before in the past. It's going to be interesting. You know, a lot, some people criticize the the Kraken for not having a tough guy or someone to protect Manny, Manny Beneers or players like that. So, right. Yeah. And hockey about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that would have started a big brouhaha that (laughs) there would have been, somebody would have gone after him right away. And and there definitely would be retribution time to change a little bit, but I'm sure it's still in the back of, of some of their minds when that game comes up in April. Andy, you said that Beneers might play in the all-star game. He might not. It's up in the air. If he doesn't play, do they have to replace him? With a member of the Kraken, does every team need to be represented in the All-Star weekend? And if it is, is it Jared McCann with 23 goals or somebody else on the Kraken? Yeah, I believe that they would replace him with another Kraken because everyone does need to have a representative. Yeah. Uh, So McCann would be, if they want to go by the same position at forward, the the McCann would make sense because he's having a, a great season. Uh, but also Vince Dunn, the defenseman, is having an all-star year, too. So either one of those guys, I think, would be great candidates to, to go represent the Kraken. Is he the best player from that draft a couple of years ago? I know his teammate from Michigan was picked number one. I don't know, from Buffalo. I don't know. Yeah, a, a defenseman. Yeah. Is is Beneers recognized as the, uh, the the top player from that draft now? I would say he is so far. You know, it's it's hard to compare Owen Power to the defenseman with Beneers. Owen Power is a great player. Uh, Beneers leads all rookies in scoring, you know, goals yeah. and points. So, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, I would say him, you know, you watch him play. I think he has more of an impact than, than power has just by, just by the nature of, of where they play on the ice. Yeah. You know, Beneers has the puck a lot when he plays and, and you watch him and sometimes you forget that the guy just turned 20 years old a couple months ago. He looks, he, he looks like he's 30 years old and, and been playing in the league forever. So he still makes a mistake now and then, but, uh, Impressive rookie year for him. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting from here on if, if he does get, assuming he's healthy to get going again. You know, in college hockey, they only play like 27, 30 games. And so he's past the point now in the NHL where he's ever played at this many games. So I'm curious to see how he handles that. Is there going to be a lull? Is there going to be like, is he going to hit a, a workery wall? Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's going to be one thing to watch here down the stretch. Tell me about Shane Wright. Their, their top pick, I think number four or five overall last year. I read an interesting article in The Athletic, Andy. I don't know if you read that, that he's kind of stuck because he's so young as to where to develop him. He's not ready for the Kraken, but he can't play in the AHL because he's Correct. too young. What can you tell us about this other guy? And ultimately, when you close your eyes and visualize the Kraken in a few years, are, are Beneers and Wright playing on the same line? Do they play the same position? How does that work? Yeah, uh, so Shane Wright was fourth overall pick. For years, he was projected as a number one pick, so he slipped a, he slipped a tiny bit. Yep. I think they wanted him to be in the NHL this year at eighteen, which is hard to do. You know, as a and he wasn't like he was he was just barely turned eighteen in the spring or something like that. I can't forget when his birthday is. Right. He's got a lot of skill, a good player, just wasn't quite ready. And also, Seattle was good this year. They didn't really have a place. For him to play, it was hard to make an argument that somebody should have come out in favor of him. Had the team been worse, he might have had more playing time in the NHL and may have stuck all year. 
So they can't. You're right, though. They cannot send him to the, to the AHL, to the American League, uh, the minor league, because uh, there's a, an agreement with the, with the league that he was drafted out of, and the NHL that the, that either at his age he either stays in the in the NHL or he goes back to play junior hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he can't play in the American Hockey League full time until he's 20. Now they found a way to get a little stint in there where he played four or five games. Uh, they called it a rehab assignment. Uh, but that was it. So they then sent him to the World Junior Championships where he was the captain for Team Canada. They won the gold, and he played pretty well. And then they, when, it, when that was over, they made the decision to send him back to the junior. So he's now in the Ontario Hockey League. He's playing for the Windsor Spitfires, and he has something like 11 points in his first five or six games, so he's playing really well. They're a contending team, so the, the hope is that that team goes on to win a championship and he gets to play some of that th- type of hockey. Uh, he's a good he's a good player. He's going to be a good player. He's a center like Benier, so they won't necessarily play on the same line, but they'll they'll be the one-two punch down the middle. You know, Beniers will probably be the first center, right the second. Right. And that's tough to do. And you look at most championship teams in the NHL, they have two dynamic players in their first two lines. So it sets up for the Kraken really well if Wright leads up, you know, ends up uh, everything they hope he's going to be. Uh, so it, it, the future looks really bright there. Yeah. So let's finish with what we should watch for in the second half of the season. And you'll come back on as we get closer to playoff time. 33 games to go, Andy. They've got 63 points. Only Dallas in the West has more, but the Kraken have played two fewer games than Dallas. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that, it, well, how does it work? You get three teams from each division of the Western the Conference three, yep. and then the two wildcard teams. So eight teams in each conference. What are we watching for? How does seeding and home ice in the playoffs work? And how important is home ice advantage? Because they're 16-5-2. and two. On the road, they've got one of the best road records yep. in all the sport. Kind of set up the second half and what we should be watching for as casual Kraken fans. Yeah, so uh, you're right. So the top three teams in, in each division get automatic bids. So, and so then, then it's the next two best records in the conference right. end up as a wild card. So you know, home ice, if they, if they finish in the top four you know, record-wise, they'll, they'll, be, uh, uh, they'll get home ice in the first round. That that's obviously important. Although the Kraken road record, you mentioned the road record is much better than their home record. It's not that they're bad at home, but they 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 haven't been as lights out at home for whatever reason. I've asked, nobody can put a, a finger on. Dave Haxall thinks they're playing fine. It's just the schedule and such that has led to some bad results. But uh, yeah, you always want home ice, especially that arena. It's gonna be would be crazy in the playoffs, but. The second half is going to be interesting. Yeah, you know they've been pretty healthy until just recently. They've had some injuries pop up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this week off will help with that a lot. But obviously, you want them to stay healthy. And one thing to keep an eye on: the Kraken have been scoring a lot of goals, but they've also been shooting as a team very high. Usually, that has that tends to regress a little bit, uh, especially the second half of the season as teams kind of tighten up their defense and, and everything becomes more important. So, can they keep scoring? Will be one thing to watch. Can their goaltending hold up? Is another big another big thing. Uh, like I said, it's been a little. It's been much better this year than last year, but it needs to remain consistent uh, for them to be competitive each each night. So. They've they've done a good job of banking points in the standings, so that they're in a they're in a good spot where they can maybe lose a game or two and not necessarily fall out. Uh, but you want to avoid any kind of long losing streak because it is pretty tight in the Western Conference. You mentioned home versus away. They're sixteen five and two on the road. They're thirteen ten and three at home after the win on Saturday night against Columbus. My thought being in the building on Saturday night for the first time since last year 
was it wasn't as loud as I would have expected. Maybe I'm looking for things and maybe I'm deaf. I don't know. That could that could be a reason too. <laughs> but it seemed like in the game against Colorado where they got blown out like seven to two or eight to two or something, mm-hmm. it seemed and maybe it was first year noise. It seemed more intense. The place was filled on Saturday night against Columbus and it was mm-hmm. good, but it wasn't crazy. I didn't think it was wild and crazy. Maybe you'll tell me that's kind of Western Conference home hockey. It's not as wild and crazy as it is in New York, Chicago, and wherever back in, in Canada, back East. I don't know. I, I, I think it kind of depends on the opponent. Columbus isn't a very good team. Right. right. <laughs> you know, they're one of the worst teams. Right. But, you know, the night before they lost to Calgary, the place was a lot louder. Okay. Um, and when they came back from that road trip, the place was, you know, bonkers. Yeah. So I, I think I think opponent has a lot to do with it. Columbus doesn't really rise up to Nobody gets really mad to see those jerseys. <laughs> you know, they've lost 32 games. Yes. Uh, so I think that's really it. I think I think they have a good home home ice advantage. You mentioned that game last year. That that was a terrible game on the ice. But all the players point to how the crowd was that night as something that that, that kind of inspired them. And, yeah. you know, they, they kind of turned it around after that a little bit. Ironically, very similar to they played Edmonton right before the New Year. And got smoked like seven to two, and it was like three nothing in the first three minutes. Just a bad game. And the next day at practice, they all talked about how how how, bad, how mad they were about that game. And now since then, they've turned it around. Uh, and so the crowd, the crowds have come along. And I, I I tell you, playoff hockey is something else. You know, the crowd will be there for if they have a home playoff game or a series. Uh, it, it'll be it'll be bonkers then. You know, you'll have people outside, you know, who can't get tickets trying to look in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to how many people will be out there at that one that that's north end of the arena yeah. where you can see in. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it'll be a party out there. So my last question to you, take your crack and cat cap off. Are they one of the best five teams in the NHL or not? Uh, you know, that's a tough question. I don't know about the NHL. I would say right now, I mean, you have to look at what they've done and their record, and I think it's hard to deny that they're one of the top five in the Western Conference for sure. Okay. Um, you know, you look at Boston, we mentioned Tampa's really good out east. Uh, there's some there's some powerhouse teams out east uh, right now that I think are probably better than the Kraken, but if you look out west, uh, definitely top five. Who's the best team in the west? Who are we shooting for? Oh, man, you know, uh, I, still, I still watch Colorado. They've had some injuries. Right now, they're they're kind of middling. Uh, they were like that last year, though, too. They took them a while before they really caught fire and ended up winning the Stanley Cup. I still like them. I like them more than Dallas. I think Dallas has the best record right now. Yes. But but I, I would still watch Colorado. I, I wouldn't give up on them. Andy Odd, you can follow him on uh, on Twitter. You can read him on NHL.com and hear him on his, uh, on his podcast, which is called The Sound of Hockey. Yep. And you've got two other two other co-hosts on that on that podcast, yes. right? John Barr and Darren Brown. Very nice. And you're always kind to join us on Mitch Unfiltered. It's great to visit with you. Happy New Year. Thanks for being with us, Andy. Hey, you too. My pleasure, Mitch. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guess who's joining us? Well, typically, I would call him Jordan Flowers, J-Flow of the Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage, but that's no longer correct, right, Jordan? That's right. We've officially moved and are in our new office space here in Woodenville, Washington, downtown, right next to our great partners at Zeke's Pizza. You got to go there three times a week for lunch. Now, how am I going to get used to 
saying the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How many times am I going to make that mistake? And how many times <laughs> am I going to hear from you? Mitch, you keep calling us the Kirkland office. I've got the over underline at plus or minus 10, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Interest rates have been a, a topic of conversation around the country, around the world, kind of like butterflies these days. What are you seeing? Yeah, we, we've made it through this year's highs. We've been seeing rates coming down over the last month and a half. Uh, we are sitting still at elevated levels, but they are down a solid half to three quarters percent interest getting back into the sixes. And with all of our buyers, we are working with them to get them into the three, four five percent range right now. Speak to us specifically. How do you guys do that at Cross Country Mortgage? Yeah, it's a it's a program that's come back into the market. Really, it's a temporary buy down option where we're working with the sellers, getting them the sales price that they've been coming on at and getting credits for our buyers to help temporarily buy that rate down for the first year, second year, third year to get that payment down until they're ready to refinance into a long term 30 year fix at that no rate. And before we finish up, I got to say thank you from all of our listeners. I think everybody knows by now that Jordan Flowers of Cross Country Mortgage gave away, I think, close to 100, maybe a little less tickets to Mitch Unfiltered fans for the stretch run of the Seattle Mariners season. That was incredibly kind of you, and it was great to get some unfiltered listeners who wouldn't ordinarily be at the last homestand to be there with you and Cross Country Mortgage. Mitch, that was so fun to do and partner with you on, and you're texting me like, email these people tickets, do this, why haven't you emailed these people yet? It was like, it was just chaos. It was a frenzy. It was so fun to be a part of with that. So thank you for everybody for participating in that. And next year, we'll do more, and they'll go further. Ladies and Gentlemen, I give to you Jordan Flowers now of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Reach him directly, 425-890-2957. What a great partner. What a great sponsor for years now of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Okay, episode 224 of the Other Stuff segment. Hot yep. Shot Scott, would you like to kick mm. or receive? I don't get to defer? No. Okay. <laughs> I'll kick, but what happened to the... the we should do the, the area code routine. The I didn't look up 224. The whole, is there a 224 area code? I probably is. There was a 227 television show, which, oh boy, <laughs> I like that. You remember that show, 227? No. no. Oh, Jack Hay? Remember Jack Hay? No. Really? Nothing. No. None of this is ringing true? No. 227? Were you under your bed during the 80s or no? You didn't watch TV? I don't know 227. <laughs> okay, fine. What channel was it on? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, We got two. It was on one of those, okay? <laughs> go ahead. You go. Dallas police say that they responded to a report early Sunday morning of a man banging on doors of an apartment complex at 610 in the morning Sunday morning. When cops arrived, they found... A 25-year-old determined he was intoxicated, took him away, pop, public intoxication arrest, and taken to the city detention center, Hotshot Scott. Name the 25-year-old that they found. The name of a great cologne, Stetson. Stetson Bennett. Yes. The back-to-back -back national champion <sighs> quarterback for the University of Georgia <laughs> is pounding on apartment <laughs> complex doors in Dallas, Texas, yeah. Two Sundays or three Sundays later after winning the national championship. What is wrong with that picture? As one does at 6, 10 a.m. wasted. That's what you do. You hit, <laughs> you go knock on doors for some reason. Yeah, not a great start for him, but 
Oh, dear. He should have gone to the Senior Bowl. He passed on the Senior Bowl. He probably would have stayed out of trouble. Because he's supposed to be preparing for the NFL draft. And I'm wondering, how does pounding beers and then pounding doors at an apartment complex get you ready for the NFL draft at age 25? He's probably got a sprained wrist now from pounding on the doors, and he'll be out for a while. And, yeah, not not a good start for him. Congratulations to Seahawks rookies Ken Walker and Tariq Woolen, both of whom found themselves on the Pro Football Writers of America, all rookie team. Hey, I like it. There you go. I like both those guys, by the way. Big fans. Believe it or not, the New York Jets had both the Offensive Player of the Year and the Defensive Player of the Year. We thought that we had a chance in Seattle to have both of those award winners. Our two guys made the team. Mm -hmm. Their two guys won both the awards. Garrett Wilson, who was picked. I'm not going to tell you where he was picked. Let's just say it was in the first round with a pick that they got from the Seahawks in the Jamal Adams trade. He's still on the team. Oh, God. And Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, a wide receiver, offensive rookie of the year. Sauce Gardner, the cornerback, defensive rookie of the year, both from the New York Jets. So I suppose that they have a rosy future ahead of them if they can get a quarterback. Jets and Seahawks in the Super Bowl next year. Let's go. I'm calling it. Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets in the Super Bowl next year. No way. Does he really they go there? No, and no, get, no, no, he doesn't go there. Somebody's got to go there. <laughs> Somebody, yes. They're they not going to the Super Bowl with, with uh, <laughs> Zach Wilson. No, they are not, apparently. No. And don't forget, by the way, that the Seahawks also had tackles Cross and Lucas. They had Kobe Bryant on the uh, the nickel corner. And they had Boye Mafe playing. So they had a lot of rookie involvement, including the two guys that made the all-rookie team, Tariq Woolen and Ken Walker. Congrats so to those The future there, yeah. is bright. Who was the guy that kept returning kicks towards the end of the year? I can't, I can't remember his name. I don't yeah. think I even knew Iguabuike it. Yeah, or something. something. Yeah, yeah. But can we get that guy the ball <laughs> once in a while? I he mean, looked like he was going to break it every single time. Every time. <laughs> I can't remember the last time the Seahawks had a guy who could like consistently return kicks. Yeah. I mean, Percy Harvin might have been that guy if he stayed healthy. Yeah. Who was that little short dude they got from? I think he was on the Jets at one time and maybe he played for the oh, Chargers. Oh yeah, Leon. Yeah, that Leon. guy. Maybe him. Well, Leon he was, Johnson. Leon. Yeah, what was his name? Was yeah, his, Leon. He was a fun guy, yes. Yeah, kind of like, short, but... Yes, yes, running back. He'd run 80 State. yards, get knocked out of bounds, and come Florida up holding State. his hamstring, that guy. <laughs> but he might be the last one I can remember. It'd be nice to actually have that once in a while Well, nobody returns teams. kicks anymore, really. They just... They what? just put their hands up and they let the ball go yeah. behind them. Yeah. What was his name? Leon... Leon... Uh, Washington. Washington. There you go. Leon Washington. I think he went to Florida State. I think you're right, actually, yeah. Yeah, he was a running back... Special teams yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. He's Smiler, very, very nice guy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So there's my first two. Go ahead. A college basketball game between Duquesne and yeah. Loyola was disrupted when yes. an Uber Eats delivery man yes. walked on the court in the second half while searching for the recipient of an order from McDonald's. Yes. Awesome, right? It was good until I found out that it was a whole stunt for TikTok and all that stuff. Oh, really? Oh. I guess I should have known that. Mm. I shouldn't have been naive enough to think that there would be a delivery man that would find his way onto the middle of the floor while they're actually playing the game. But well, the, I, I suppose it's still a, a fun story. I mean, the head coach of Duquesne didn't know that it was a stunt. I guess his name's Keith Dambrot. Yeah. He told reporters at his news conference, I saw the video after the game. Our guys were dying laughing. The guy had a job to do. He did his job well. No. So the coach is pretty impressed by the guy going that extra mile to deliver the McDonald's. No, I think that this was a yeah. <laughs> little bit of a stunt. Yeah. yeah. Kind of funny, though. Yeah. Brianna Stewart. Yes is the the most famous free agent in WNBA history. Oh. Did you know that she's she's a free agent? I did not know. She can sign wherever she'd like. She has narrowed her teams to two. Please tell me the Storm or one of them. The Storm, one of them. Okay. The New York Liberty, the other. 
She's from Syracuse, New York, originally. She yeah. went to the UConn Huskies program. Yes. She won like four national championships in Player of the Year every yep. year. She's got some roots to New York City. So I think that they're able to decide or sign this week. Sometime this wow, week, that would hurt. free agency begins. Will Brianna Stewart stay in Seattle or exit stage <sighs> right for New York City? Isn't Ionoscu or whatever her name is, isn't she on New York as yes, well? So is. they got a nice, yeah, hot young player. Yeah. Hot and she can play well. I'm not talking about her looks, but. Yeah, she just got engaged. She did? Yes. So going, former University of Oregon football player, yes. Okay. Sabrina, I, uh, what I would yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So you, you trade in Sue Bird for that for the next 10 years of your career, right? She's an incredible player. So I mean, yeah. But that would really hurt. They somehow managed to hang on to Lauren Jackson forever and Sue Bird forever. They even hung on to Lauren Jackson when she wasn't playing forever, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> they were paying her while she wasn't playing or something? <laughs> right. It's good I don't work know. if you can find it. I don't know if this is a function of dollars or contract or who gives hmm. the most money. I don't yeah. know how this works in the WNBA, but you'd hate to see Brianna oh. Stewart leave Seattle. Somebody in Seattle's got to be able to chip in if you guys can't afford it. Get an NIL arrangement <laughs> for Call her. Bezos. He'll throw in a couple million. You won't even feel it. Let's keep her here. That would, that would really hurt. I'm a big fan. I love her. You see Cleveland police recovered the Guardians manager, Terry Francona's beloved two-wheeled scooter? No. It was ripped off from outside his downtown apartment. Remember I told you the story about somebody just broke into their clubhouse yes. and stole yes. some shit from him? It's like, the guy can't catch a break. <laughs> he loves the scooter. Apparently, he's always seen around town, cruising around on it. But the scooter was being stored with the Cleveland Police Traffic Unit motorcycles, and he got it back. So, good for him. Good news for the Mariners and all other Major League Baseball teams. Artie Moreno has decided, the, the owner of the Anaheim yeah, Angels, sure. we're not selling after all. Okay. He put the team up for sale. I think he got a couple of offers. I think he found out that he could get two and a half to three billion dollars for the Angels. But during the process, he says, quote, it became clear that we have unfinished business and feel like we can make a positive impact on the future of the team mm. and the fan experience. This offseason, we committed to a franchise record payroll. Still want to accomplish our goal of bringing a World Series championship back to our fans. Artie Moreno will remain, at least for the short term, the owner of the Angels and everybody's applauding around Major League Baseball. That's right. Unfinished business. Two weeks from now, he'll trade Otani, right? That's how that'll go. How many uh, How many seven-time NBA champions can you name? Seven-time? Seven-time NBA. A seven-time NBA champion is in the news this week. Bill Russell has obviously won, I would right, say. Right, right. There's probably three or four Celtics that are on that list. Well, one imagine. of them is called Robert Ori. Oh, this guy. Yes. Seven-time NBA champion, Ugh. Big Shot Bob, they called him. I never did. Was ejected from his son's basketball game Friday night for screaming, you suck, at the referees. <laughs> By the way, TMZ Sports has the video. Of course they do. The 52-year-old Ori's son, Christian, is a junior at Harvard-Westlake in the Los Angeles area. During the third quarter, Christian picked up his fourth foul, and Big Shot Bob... Wasn't exactly pleased with the call, so he began yelling at the refs. You suck. You suck. Hey, ref, you talking about me? You suck. Are you mad at me just because I said you suck? And out out the door went Robert Ori at his son's high school basketball game. All class right there. <laughs> and by the way, under CIF rules, he could be banned from attending the next Harvard-Westlake basketball game. Yeah, Is that true? Do you remember the name... Kwame Brown, hotshot Scott. Yeah, it was a Kwame or Kwame. Yeah, I remember that. Kwame name. Brown, basketball. He was the number one overall pick wow. out of high school. 
by the Washington Wizards in the 2001 NBA draft. You know who who picked him? Who was in charge of the Washington Wizards at the time? I don't. Michael Jordan. He was, okay. He picked Kwame Brown out of high school, number one overall. He was a big stiff. He played 10 or 12 seasons in the league. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a stiff in 10 or 12 seasons. But... He averaged six points per game yeah, as the number like one overall pick in the end. <laughs> he was on a podcast this week where okay. he said, quote, it was much better than LeBron because being a bust is much better. What? LeBron can't do what I can do. They take pictures everywhere he goes. I was a bust. Ain't nobody looking to take pictures of me everywhere I went. I figure I had it better than LeBron James. Whatever helps you sleep at night, buddy. <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep. Although he probably got paid. If you looked up his career earnings, he probably made $100 million, right? I mean, the eighth guy on the bench is making $19 million yeah, a year. Yeah, I don't know NBA. that he made $100 million, yeah. but he Maybe not back then. But... Made, made some good money, but he figures he had it better yeah. than LeBron James. By the way, your buddy LeBron <laughs> lost his cool with a heckler. You see that? Oh, no. Ooh, he had to be held back from a oh, guy. What happened? Well, the guy shouted a bunch of insults at him. And he, where do you where do you hit LeBron where it hurts? What's he the most sensitive about? Not, not his mom. Everyone's sensitive about that. But what, what is it about him? What, what, what is he vain about? You have to know this. Come on. Everyone knows it. I'll take my talents to Miami or something. You can tell the guy's very self-conscious about his hairline. Oh, yes. I've heard this. That before, he's been losing yes. since like 18. This is like Aaron Rodgers and his height. Yes. Yeah. So LeBron wasn't wearing his headband up high to make a fashion statement. Yes. It was to cover the hairline at 18 years old, right? Okay. So, of course, the guy goes, hey, Bron, hey, Bron, you better get this S together. He continued, with that receding ass hairline. And that's all LeBron had to hear. He turned what quickly. Happened? He went after him. Security oh, no. intervened. Oh, no. And the guy kept going, look, he's, he's mad. He's mad. Look at him. It's unclear if the fan faced any punishment, but LeBron wanted to kill that guy talking wow. about his hairline. <laughs> you imagine, you're 6'10", you have abs, you're the, one of the richest athletes ever. You can do anything you want in life, and that's going to get under your skin, your fucking hairline? Who cares? God, it's just crazy that men are so vain sometimes about that kind of stuff. You've made it in life. Yeah. You should feel good about yourself. Spoken by a guy who's got a big, full head of hair. (laughs) I know, but I'd rather be LeBron. Are you kidding me? I'll take him all day. You talked about McDonald's and and the guy that wandered out into the Duquesne basketball court. Uh Have you heard the news about McDonald's? The golden arches are going green. They are. Bad news as far as I'm concerned. The fast food chain has confirmed to People Magazine... That it is currently testing out strawless lids for its cold beverages in mm. select U.S. markets as part of a, quote, ongoing global commitment to reduce waste across restaurants and advance recycling. This is not a story that I would normally that would normally catch my eye. Yeah. But everybody knows that the best straws that ever were. <laughs> yeah. Are at McDonald's. I think the diameter is a tad bit bigger. No. Yes. Because it's a tad come, bit bigger. It comes flying Oh, down. it's the best. Str- yeah. Sometimes I go to McDonald's just for a straw. That's right. <laughs> no, no, Can no. I get you a happy meal with that? No, just a straw. <laughs> no liquid, no nothing. I love yeah. the McDonald's straws. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. So, do you know what I love the McDonald's straws. Can you picture the, the lids they're talking about with, the, with like the, the little nub on it that you drink out of? Like a, It'd be like a yeah. sippy cup. Like, yeah. remember your kids had sippy people cups? People drink coffee out of those. Yeah, Starbucks things. has them. Yeah. So would you take that or the paper straw if you had to choose? I take the paper straw out and yank and throw it as far as I can throw it. <laughs> I'm with you. The paper straws they are They are terrible. Terrible. They ruin the drink. Yeah, right. The paper sort of straw like, ruins yeah. the drink. Unless you drink it really fast. It sort of sits in there. It, no, yeah, no, it's no, no, good. no, 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 no. The yeah. best straws that ever were yep. were at McDonald's. The best ketchup, 
the best French fries, yeah. the best straws. And this, to me, is very disturbing news that they're going to do away with the straws. Hopefully you'll have a choice. You won't. It won't be forced upon you. Maybe they'll give you a choice. Nice, big, wide. Oh. And they have the stripes going down them, don't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the carbonation on their soda, I think, oh, is better than most. Yes. It's awesome. It's some trick that they do. Yeah, it is something. Yeah, but they don't have chocolate ice cream. No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. Did you know that? Did I know that? Come on. Look at me. You don't think I know about McDonald's? <laughs> I Lord. found out the other day they don't have chocolate ice cream. The other day. I haven't had it for 80 years the other day. I was coming home. This is a true story. <laughs> Jeez, I was coming home. Chocolate shakes. But... From the Seattle Kraken game against yeah. the Columbus team. Oh. The Blue Jackets. I already feel sorry. And for I had guy. this. I, I saw somebody in the arena. I saw a few people in the arena eating soft serve ice cream. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. And I just got, I just, I got, to, I got the bug. I was like, I got to have soft serve. Ice. Once you get things in your head about food, sometimes like you're just hell bent on getting that thing. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I left the arena without getting the soft serve ice cream. So now I'm in the car late at night on Saturday night with my wife. We're coming home from the arena. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, and it's like 20 degrees outside. I said, I got to get soft. Can you look up to see if Dairy Queen's open this time of night? <laughs> no, it's not. I'm just so she, no. she, she uh, gets on her phone. No, it's not open. Yeah. I said, how about Cold Stone? But Cold Stone doesn't have... No, they don't have soft serve. They don't yeah. have so I, I wanted soft serve ice cream. Yeah. And she's like, no, I, I'm sorry. I said, I just need... I need chocolate vanilla swirl. Oh, the swirl. I just yeah. need a swirl. Delicious. And then it dawned on me, McDonald's is open all night. I'll go to the Factoria McDonald's. I'll yeah. go through drive through and I'll get a swirl right into my... Right in a little cone and I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Get into the line. <sighs> ask for swirl. Sir... We don't have chocolate ice cream. Did we they, only have vanilla. But now that I think about it, did they at one point have it? When I worked there, they had it. Oh, they did. Yeah, that was a little while ago. Yeah. I haven't worked there in a while. Well, but back in the 1980s, they had it. Because I used to serve going, it. You might be back. Because <laughs> <laughs> now that you Not say. Not if Michelle has her way. Now that, that's right. Now, now that you say swirl, maybe McDonald's did have it at one point. Yes, they did. Yeah, okay. I just, and, and, and what's the problem? Yeah. I'm not asking for pistachio ice cream. I'm asking for <laughs> chocolate ice cream. What kind of a place? Yeah. What place in America has van- has ice cream, yeah, yeah. but no chocolate? Name me one place in America that actually serves ice cream, yeah. but doesn't have chocolate ice cream. Krispy Kreme donuts. They serve ice cream? Well, I was going to tell you, the greatest soft serve that ever lived was Krispy Kreme donuts. It was a well-known secret. I never knew about it. Oh, never had it before. Little particles of ice. It was it was awesome. The best Didn't even I, know that they served it. I went there to get one the other day. Yeah, we don't serve ice cream anymore. Can I get you a donut? Yeah, they completely canceled it. Anyway. Did they I, have only vanilla think, ice cream? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, it's weird that you would have like... Nobody chocolate would, seems pretty standard in the ice cream world. Pretty yeah. standard? Yeah. <laughs> but then you got to go strawberry if you're going to go chocolate. Where does it end? But I don't want to complain too much because I had a vanilla ice cream cone from McDonald's in the drive-thru and it was fantastic. They're awesome, yeah. It was fantastic. It is it weird. exactly what I wanted. It wasn't exactly what I wanted. I wanted swirl. Yeah, right, right, right. And you should have seen the face on the like the nineteen year old who was at the window <laughs> oh, I, when, when I come pulling up and I go. Feel sorry for and him I already. go, yeah. How could you not have chocolate? <laughs> Sharon's got she's, her face buried she, in her ass. Nineteen year old's looking at me like uh, we don't. Uh, since I worked here, we don't have chocolate. And I'm like, what kind of a place doesn't have chocolate? <laughs> Sir, I get twelve dollars an hour. I don't give two shits. <laughs> Move it along here, buddy boy. God, leave me alone. Uh, All right, who's the only director in history? Yes. With three movies that have crossed the $2 billion line. And what are those movies? Oh, little like, stump like the you're band. asking me director? Yes. Producer? Yeah, like a, a Steven director. Spielberg? That kind of a position, yes, but that's not him. The guy from Star Wars, whatever it's his not name is. Not George Lucas, also known as the guy from Star Wars. No. 
The only director with three. There's only th- there's only one. There's one, one yeah, director. He's in a club of his own. Yeah, and I'm I'm bringing it up because he Martin cur- Scorsese. Not Scorsese. I'm just mentioning guys I know. I don't know. He currently has a movie in the theaters. Is why this is a thing. It just passed the two billion dollar mark. His name would be Jim Cameron, also known as James, James Cameron. Cameron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call him Jim. Yeah, I can picture him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did a movie called Avatar. Oh, okay. He did yeah. one called Avatar 2. Oh, It's not okay. really called that. I think it's yeah. called Way of the Water. And he did one called Titanic in 1997. You may have heard of that okay. one. Okay. Three movies with $2 billion. Pretty damn impressive. All right. I got a couple of... You want to go pop culture? I'll give you some Let's pop go. culture. Well, first of all, I saw a very weird story about the sale of Twitter to Elon Musk. Did you know that when Elon Musk bought Twitter... There was another group that was on the verge of buying Twitter before Elon Musk bought it. I didn't know this until this past week. I thought this was a really weird group headed by David Letterman. True story. David Letterman and his group offered $33.9 billion. Clearly, David Letterman has a money man that we don't know about. But they offered $33.9 billion for Twitter. Twitter came back to them and said, what about $42 billion? And then David Letterman said, let me ask my partners to see if we can raise it to $42 billion. But he couldn't get a hold of some of his partners in time. Oh. And Elon Musk swooped in and bought Twitter. The guy that he couldn't get a hold of was Billy Crystal. Really? <laughs> of all the people, it's so weird. He was doing a reading for Mr. Saturday Night. Right. He couldn't come to the phone. No, I'm telling you, that's the truth. Really? You know, Letterman says, I tried to get a hold of my peeps. And it was taking me a while to see if we could raise the extra $9 billion. God. And Elon Musk swooped in and, and bought it. Imagine checking your phone and seeing you missed a call from David Letterman, <laughs> of all people. Why is David Letterman and Billy Crystal buying Twitter? There's no way David Letterman even has sent one tweet in his life, right? I mean, does he have an account? Have we checked? Yes, he does. He has an account. He does. I don't know who sends the... Yes, he definitely has an account. So does Billy Twitter. Uh, so does Billy Twitter. Yeah. So does Billy Crystal. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Letterman, it just seems like it's beneath him. I don't know how to right. work that. I got yeah. a couple other pop culture ones okay. for you. Are you following all of the Pamela Anderson? T- Pamela Anderson is everywhere now. She's yeah. back in the news. The Tim Allen thing? Because there was a an unauthorized film about the making of the sex video that she's ashamed of and she doesn't have any part of. And then she has recently getting ready. She's getting ready to release her first memoir right. called Love, Pamela. And she's getting ready to release a Netflix documentary, which you'll watch, um, of course. called Pamela, A Love Story. So she's doing the rounds. Yeah. And everybody's getting clips of the movie, uh, clips of the Netflix film. And then like blurbs from the book. Blurbs and that kind from of the thing. book. Yeah. 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 And in, in one of the blurbs from the book, she yeah. recalls, and this is not Tim Allen. She recalls a visit to the infamous former home of Playboy magazine founder, Hugh Hefner. Oh, yeah. In which she bumped into Jack Nicholson while he was having a threesome in a bathroom. Oh, she guy doesn't sound like the Jack Nicholson I know. This is her talking. This is Pamela Anderson. Quote, Mr. Nicholson had two beautiful women with him. Sure. They were all giggling and kissing up against the wall, sliding all over each other. God. I walked by to use the mirror, bending over the sink to fix my lip gloss trying not to look and let them do their thing. <laughs> There's another bathroom down the hall if you just keep walking. But I couldn't help myself, and I caught his eye in the reflection of the mirror. And she writes, I'm just reading what she writes. Okay. I guess that got him to the finish line because he made a funny noise, smiled, and said, thanks, dear. Oh, no. That is... <laughs> 
god. Classy to the other two you were with, by the way, right? <laughs> I mean, all class, Jack Nicholson. What year was this, did she say? I don't know. I don't know a year. Uh, I mean, we just assume that stuff went on at the Playboy Mansion, right? I mean, we're not, no one's really shocked by that. I think it bothers me that it was Jack Nicholson. Of course it should. What was that movie he was in? I'll never get the name of it, but at the very opening scene, it's him and his wife laying in bed. His wife is his age, like, you know, and she just looks like a normal 70-year-old woman with the shorter hair and kind of heavy. And I'm thinking, if he wasn't famous, that's who he would be married to. Like, that's age-appropriate. That's weird to think, like, Jack Nicholson's always been this big movie star, but that's what he would look like if he yeah. wasn't famous. Yeah. And now he's getting two Playboy... Well, not now. I'm not once. saying now. But, you know, even then, like, saying he in was the in 90s. a bathroom with two beautiful yeah. women, and Pamela Anderson walked into the bathroom at the same oh, time. Oh, my gosh. Unreal. Beyonce... Did a one-hour concert in Dubai. She did, yes. It was the grand reveal of the new Atlantis, the Royal Hotel in Dubai. Mm -hmm. She did a one-hour concert to mark the opening. Would you like to guess, maybe you know, how much she was paid to do one hour for the grand opening of the new Atlantis Hotel in Dubai? It's probably more than like 15 shows on tour. I have no clue, but... I wouldn't know what she makes... In 15 shows. Yeah, I don't know tour. either, but you know what I mean? Like, just easy one hour for. $24 million Ooh. for the hour. I used to get. Is that above minimum wage? $24 million <laughs> I used to get hour? $500 for a one hour appearance <laughs> when I was at Cube 93. $500, bucks, not $24 million. And she stayed in a suite Jeez. that costs $100,000 a night. $24 million bucks for Beyonce to perform for an hour. To mark the grand opening of the hotel. And Jay Leno, your buddy, yep. is back in the hospital. He can't stop. He won't stop. He's is this just... part of the shtick? He's no, got to be I... using this as part of his shtick, I just though. think he's just getting older. And the reflexes aren't what they were. The he grip, was... not what it was. Just a couple of weeks after the explosion that lit his face on fire. Yeah. Now he gets knocked off of his motorcycle. He's got a broken collarbone. He's Ugh. got broken ribs. He's got two cracked kneecaps. And he's back in the hospital. Although I think he's now out since he went he's in. He's out, yeah. And he's doing shows. Yeah, exactly. Right. He'll never stop doing that. But he's doing shows. He was shown in, in like a, a cheesesteak restaurant with an arm in a sling. Yeah. yeah, getting picking up food. Like he just, <laughs> there's something kind of admirable about his life. He just doesn't, you know, he just made $100 million and just works on cars all day. It's kind of cool in a way. But yeah. Hey, I think he has permanent damage. They showed him. He's got like, oh. like white spots. Maybe it'll I'm get. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. I know. From that, the explosion? From the explosion, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Not good. No. I guess the days of zippity doodah at Disney parks in the U.S. are now gone. Do you see this? No. Splash Mountain. You've been on the old Splash Mountain? I have been, yes. That is no more. Really? They got rid of Splash Mountain. I'm and sorry to were... hear that. Why? Yeah, well, they, they want to update it a little bit. Um, they're going to rework it into Tiana's Bayou Adventure, a riff on the movie The Princess and the Frog, which oh. features a New Orleans swampy setting. But oh. it was a little... I, I think some people got a little uptight about the characters. It was a little problematic, maybe. It was kind of glorifying the South, you know, if you know what I'm saying. And so mm -hmm. they kind of wanted to update it. But mm. people, the ride was based on the 1946 song, Song of the South. Your buddy Conor McGregor is in trouble again? Under investigation in Spain after being accused of phys physically assaulting a woman last summer in Ibiza. Yes. Allegations from an Irish woman that the UFC superstar punched her and threatened to drown her at a party in July on his boat. So more troubles in the courtroom yeah. for Conor McGregor. It feels like the guy cannot stay yeah. out. Of, and I think he was just hit on his bicycle as well. 
Was he? He was just clipped. He was riding his bike oh. and he almost died on his bicycle. Sorry to hear that. The guy just cannot. Remember, he broke his leg and just he was he threw a chair at a bus and the guy just can't stop. He just can't control himself. Like you're rich, you're you're, you're just go enjoy your life. Why are you so angry all the time? What the hell's going on here? I'm left with three RIPs. If you have some stories that you want to do before we get to the RIPs. Quick happy birthday to Noah, Malia, Isaiah, Naria, Jonah, Who? Makai, Josiah, and Jeremiah. <laughs> Who are they? They are oh, the offspring Octa. of Nadia Suleiman, known as the Octomom. Yeah. 14 Octomom. years old. They're 14 I know. now. I thought maybe Where seven. Where does time eight. go? Uh, it's unbelievable. So yeah, happy birthday to them. Uh, Buzz Aldrin just had his 93rd birthday. Remember Buzz? Yep. Second man on the moon. Yes. He just got married. He tied the knot with his longtime girlfriend, who's 63. Oh. So he likes him a little young. You know, at, at 93, he likes him a little younger. It's okay. He's no stranger to marriage. He's walked down the aisle three previous times. Okay. All the nuptials ended in divorce. Good and for Buzz. Here we go. He's going for number four at 90, for Buzz. 93. You see Luka Doncic's car? No. Woo. This car is incredible. It's got six wheels. It's called the Hellfire Apocalyptic Truck. Jeez. I can't even say the word right. He showed up at American Airlines Center Wednesday night in this six-wheeler. It breathes fire out. Remember the old cartoon bulls when yes, they get mad? Yes, it, yes, The grill does that. It shoots. It looks awesome. I mean, $250,000 that he spent on this car. 850 horsepower. It's got the five-blast train horn, Jesus. a nitrous kit, 850 horsepower, and even a built-in safe. Oh, no. With a 10,000-watt audio system. So good for Luca spending his money on shit that I would buy as well because that looks pretty well, awesome. He's going to make a lot of money over the next 15 years, so he's going to be, be able to afford anything he wants. Yeah, it'll be a hellfire apocalypse of trucks for everybody in his family probably yeah. at some point. The guy and, setting the world afire. And I got a bunch of RIPs, too. It's been you a do? couple weeks, so yeah. Okay, go ahead. David Crosby died January 18th at the age of 81. Is that Crosby, Stills, and Nash? It is, and also Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young for a okay. while there All with right. uh, Neil Young. He was in the midst of planning a new album and tour. David Crosby, are you a David Crosby fan? I, I like a no. lot. Of, I like a lot of the that music, yeah. a lot of the songs. Yeah. Um, you know, he founded the uh, the Birds, I think, in 1964 with their okay. their first number one hit. Only a year later, thanks to a cover of Bob Dylan's <laughs> okay, "Mr. Tambourine Man." Okay, you know that song, right? Mr. Hey, yeah, Mr. Mr. Tim. Tim. Yeah. So in 1968, that's when he formed Crosby, Stills, Nash with Stephen Stills and Graham Nash. And they okay. won a Grammy for Best New Artist in 1960. Now, he's a, he's a legend. I mean, he's an absolute legend. Do you remember Melissa Etheridge? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Do you remember she asked for his? Yes. Yes. Something about babies? Yeah. His sperm? Yes. Did they use his sperm for her babies? Yes. Yes. I, I do remember that. Yeah, too. I mean, the guy's been like riddled with like drug problems and like it was because a tad. Yes, he's a musical genius, I guess. But yes, a tad risky could go either way. Anyway, she sent out a really sweet note about him. He's contributed obviously a ton to her life with two kids, but he yeah. was 81 years old. 81 years old. Yep. Who else you got? Gina Lola Brigida. Don't know. Do you remember that, that name? No. One of the last mega celebs of old Hollywood? No. Whew. Wow. She was beloved in a coveted movie star in the 50s and 60s. She was in films with Humphrey Bogart, Rock Hudson, Anthony Quinn, Errol oh. Flynn, Frank Sinatra, Yul Brenner. She was uh, rivals with you know Marilyn Monroe, Sophia Loren, Elizabeth Taylor. She was, as you say, easy on the eyes. Back easy in her on day. the eyes. 95 years old. 95 Boy, I hope somebody got some stories out of her before she passed. Okay. Jeff Beck, we didn't talk about because we were gone. Well, that's a long time ago. Yeah, well, yeah. we didn't talk about it. It's like three or four weeks ago. That's I right. I spoke with Danny about him, but go ahead. Oh, you did? No, I probably not. Just the greatest guitarist in the history of the world? Yeah, not. Other than Jimi Hendrix? He's not the greatest who ever no. lived, but he's okay. definitely a legend. And okay. Yeah, he was. Uh, I don't know who he is. 
Well, he was in the Jeff Beck group. He was in the Yardbirds at first with Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, like this super group. And he's just an absolute heavyweight guitar player. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. As in his a, 70s. He died in his 70s. 78. So yeah. he's in as a solo artist and also with the Yardbirds, 78 right. years old. Right. And then Lisa Marie Presley. Yeah. We talked about her. Yeah, you guys yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. Gosh, that one. I don't know. That, that, it's Young. Cardiac ne arrest? Buried next to her father. She was just at one of the award shows because yeah. the guy's getting all the uh, Best right. Actor awards that, that played her father in the movie. Have you right? seen that movie, by the no, way? No, I've not. Have uh, you? I've, I started it. I'm going to finish it. It was good. He, he's great in it. From what I saw, he's incredible. So Yeah, I saw him on Saturday Night Live. He, he was very good on Saturday Night Live, I thought. He was very good on Saturday Night Live. There's a picture of her recently. It was 2022 with her and her two daughters. And you can just see that Elvis gene, and even in yeah, the oh, no question, even in the granddaughters, oh, the no high question. cheekbones, yeah, and you're no like, holy question. shit, you are Elvis's grandkids. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, but yeah, that was very sad. Sad when they were going through her life. You're like, oh yeah, she was married to Michael Jackson at one point. I've got two other RIPs. Are you done with your RIPs? Uh, I think that's it for me. Yeah, I've got two others. Okay, longtime college basketball commentator Billy Packer passed away. Oh, he did this week at age 82. Ah. He called 34 straight Final Four. He's a good basketball player himself back in the day. Oh, he was? Okay. Yeah, I, I think that. he played at Wake Forest. I think he was an all-ACC player okay. at Wake Forest back in the day. And then he became very famous as an announcer. Yeah. First on NBC with Dick Enberg and Al McGuire, that that trio that brought college back. Yep. Like, that's in the days of Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird in the National Championship game, 1970s. Well, he went on to go to CBS, as you know. Mm -hmm. And 34 straight Final Fours. Unreal. 34 straight. First at NBC and then at CBS. Dick Enberg, Al McGuire, Billy Packer. Uh, most consider the greatest broadcast team in college basketball history. He passed away at the age of 82. And then this one, I'm not sure you're going to know who this is. Okay. When I saw that this guy had died, I, I immediately thought, is he, the, is he the, the former child actor? And he was of a movie that I've talked about a lot. Oh, I no. used to talk about a lot on, on the radio show that nobody ever saw. Yeah, I think I'm the only me. one who's ever... Yeah. You probably never saw because you were too young. The guy's name is Lance Kerwin. He passed away. He's an actor. Passed away to the age of 62. Is this the bedwetting routine? Yes. <laughs> is this the child... That, is this the star of that movie? Yes. Unreal. How did you know? I've heard you talk about it. I think we talked about it. I just So yeah. Lance Kerwin is 62 and he passed away Tuesday at the age of 62. Okay. Uh, he hasn't acted, I don't think. Well, he he was known for roles in in a Stephen King adaptation of Salem's Lot and some okay. other made-for-TV movies. But what I remember him as <laughs> yes. was The Loneliest Runner. That was the name oh, of the I'll never forget sounds that. Sounds awful. It just... Did you ever see something as a kid on TV that has stayed with you all these years and that you have like a Duh. vivid, like a vivid yes. memory of for whatever reason? For sure, yeah. Lots. There was a movie that I don't think anybody saw except for me called The Loneliest Runner. It was directed by the guy by the name of Michael Landon. You remember Michael Landon, Little House on the Prairie? Do I know who Michael Landon? Yes, of Apparently course. it was loosely based on his life as a kid. I guess Michael Landon oh, was a bedwetter. Well, I guess we all know that now. So this was a like a, a made for TV. This is like on ABC, ABC in 1976. Yeah. I was nine years old. <laughs> I saw it. God. And it I, I remember every scene of this movie for some reason. It's crazy. And don't just assume that I was a, a late bedwetter. I, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. But for whatever reason, this movie just penetrated me at age nine, yeah. and I have not been able to get rid of it. <laughs> he starred as a kid who was like 13 years old, who would who would wet his bed yeah. at age 13. It's a little old for that. 
And his mother used to publicly shame him for it. Oh, did she hang the sheets? She hang- oh, God. So you awful. saw the movie. No, I, I remember you telling me it's awful. She hung the sheets yeah. every day oh. that he he wet the bed. He hung the sheets. She hung the sheets with the stains outside of, outside of his window in the two-story house. And he would have to run home from school to, yank him to down. get there before the girls and the guys yeah, would oh. come. And he would literally have to outrun the cars. He would come out of the school Awful. and do, and he became an Olympic. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Is that really part of it? Yes. <laughs> so Michael Landon, gold clearly, medalist. clearly not based on Michael Landon. Yes. He was a, he was a runner. Not in the Olympics. Or, I think he was, a, he was in the Olympic oh, trials he was. or something. Oh, okay. And maybe not a runner. Maybe he was like, that's amazing. He was though. a track and field guy in the Olympics. That's what inspired and he him. Mi- and he might've been a bedwetter. I don't know that he was a bedwetter. <laughs> But this kid, oh no, played by Lance Kerwin, yeah, used to have to race home after last period to get there before Awful. other kids would come by and see the sheets. The this... mother was the world's worst. Yeah, and I, for some reason, I can picture the mother. This I haven't seen this movie since 1976. That's 24 and 20, 23. It's. I haven't seen this movie in 47 years, and I remember every scene. Okay? But you won't stop effing talking about it. Maybe you would forget it. If I keep it talking about show. it. He died at age 62. The, 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 the PS to the story, if you want to know what the PS to the story was. P.S. Yes. His mother refused to get him a full-size bed until he stopped wetting the bed. So she made him sleep in his room in a kid's bed at age 13. Ugh. And then one night, I, I, I forget it. I'm not going well, no, no, to go on. I've go lost on. you. I've lost. No, everybody. I'm looking to see if it's on YouTube. I want to watch it. Oh, my God. One night he went to a furniture store. 76, by the way, the whole thing's on here. The whole thing's on YouTube. I'm going to watch. Nobody saw it except movie. for me. And I can tell you every single <laughs> moment of this. Oh, there he is right with this little green bag. Oh, oh. God, it's awful. <laughs> well, one day he didn't get be- he didn't get there in time. He got. He got oh. delayed in school, and the girls and the guys that came around in the car saw the sheets, and he was oh. humiliated. I felt, I mean, I've been feeling terrible for him for 47 <laughs> Right. If school's not hard enough so as a I'm kid. telling you what happened. Yeah, yeah. The, the feel-good end of the story, not right. only did he go to the Olympics and win, yeah. but um, what we found out was he ended up in a furniture store. He w- he ran away from home and he went into a furniture store, like a bed a bed store, okay. uh, like a mattress store. Sure. And they closed one night and he went to sleep. He fell asleep. He was closed into the. He, they locked him into the mattress store overnight. Okay. And he fell asleep. He was like running away, whatever. And he didn't pee. He didn't wet the bed. Oh. And I guess the idea was that the problem was that the mom would never and the father I think was played by Brian Keith. I'm pretty sure the. Remember Brian Keith? Yeah. If you remember that, holy crap. I think, the, I think the father was played by Brian Keith. There's somebody that looked like Brian Keith. I might okay. be wrong about that. <laughs> Brian Keith Light? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just telling no, you. No, go on. So what happened? So what, what did they determine? The reason he didn't well, the, wet? I, what they were trying to say was, I guess, that the reason he was wetting the bed so late in life was because he was, li- he was being forced to sleep in a child's bed. And had she only gotten oh. him a regulation bed from one of these mattress stores that maybe he would have stopped but she was so mean. She was so oh, mean, that's this awful. mom. Yeah. Lance Kerwin, Brian Keith, Deanne Mears, and Landon's Little House on the Prairie daughter, Melissa Sue Anderson, I guess was it. Yes, Melissa Sue Anderson was the girl that he had a crush on that he didn't want to see the sheets, and he had to race home oh. before she would come around the corner in the car. Awful. 
And then she saw the sheets. Nominated for two Emmy Awards, that movie. No, maybe not quite as crappy as I'm you I'm telling think you, it was. nobody saw it except for me. Yeah, clearly. The Loneliest Runner, 1976. Lance Kerwin died at the age of 62 wow. on Tuesday. Yeah, they used to have the made-for-TV, like, network movie of the night or Tuesday night movies. And some of them are, like, memorable, though, that you, you, oh, you kind of remember them. Something for Joey? Yeah, I never saw that the one. The one that was about, uh, that was a true story about um, the Heisman Trophy winner, John Capaletti. Oh, okay. Whose, whose younger brother was dying of leukemia as oh, he won the Heisman Trophy. That's right. At Penn State University for Joe Paterno. Yeah, yeah. that was a made-for-TV movie. I even think the Brian Song might have been a made-for-TV movie. But I'm telling you. The Loneliest Runner. Don't watch it. <laughs> You're because, not recommending it? <laughs> yeah, because 47 years from now, Hotshot, you'll still be talking about it. You'll still be <laughs> scarred from it. Anyway. The Trilogy of Terror, that freaked me out. I think that was on. That was made for... Don't know. For Trilogy of Terror, that one Don't got know. me. Oh, that little doll that came to life and would chase you around with a little knife, that one got me. Anyway, the only thing that's going to take my mind off of the mother of the loneliest runner, <laughs> the most evil woman on the face of the Ooh. earth is a couple of headlines. Do you have a couple of headlines? A man suspected of breaking into a Seattle home was found fully clothed in a bathtub filled with water. Oh. Luckily, I've been cleared as a suspect as the guy was bathing. If you don't bathe. Swedish government moves <laughs> to get rid of permits needed for dancing. Oh, no more permits needed for dancing. Not on my watch, said John Lithgow. Footloose reference? I thought I that know, might I go. Yeah, okay. yeah, I don't know that. Joe Biden forgets MLK Jr.'s daughter-in-law's name while singing happy birthday. This story's clearly bullcrap. How can a street possibly have a daughter-in-law? And finally, a woman celebrated her 100th birthday. She offered up a tip when it comes to making it to 100 years old. Avoid strange men. Sadly, Sharon Levy not expected to reach the age uh, of 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, 99, hopefully, for her, but she ain't going to make it there with you. Yeah, yeah. The Loneliest Runner of 1976. <laughs> you don't remember Trilogy of Terror, really? No, I don't remember that. It was 1975, I think. That scared no, I don't the shit out of me. That. Oh, my God. Yeah, some of them, those, some of those I can remember vividly. <laughs> there was this mean kid, and there was someone standing out the window, and they, they showed the point of view of him running towards the kid, and he shoved him out the window oh. and killed him. No. That was like a made-for-TV, like NBC. Like, why am I watching this? <laughs> I'm like, don't I have any parental supervision? <laughs> God. But I can remember to this day, it scared the crap out of me. I remember what movie that was. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. Episode 224, Hot Shot Scott. It'll be the Chiefs and the Eagles, like it or not, in Super Bowl 57. We've got a couple of weeks to anticipate that. Episode 224 is in the books.